And uh, off we go there. Uh, we're recording now. I'm going to pop me off a cosmic menstrual <laughs> incense. <laughs> Pause. Excuse me? Yeah, bro. Yeah, ready. What does it smell like? Uh, it smells pretty good. Um, it's kind of powdery, kind of florally. Mm. I would say also kind of fruity at the same time. It's kind of an everything scent, but I like it. Okay. Um, yeah. Wonderful. I got I'm it very... at a Renaissance fair. I'm just confused by the name. I, I think minstrel as in musician. No, I, I understand. That's somehow even worse. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of like the Pied Piper. It's like this frightening interdimensional entity minstrel. <laughs> See? I just thought it was like dried up band members powdered and rolled onto an incense. But what would cosmic mean? You could have cosmic know, in from there. Space or something. Oh, okay. I feel like that's you gotta flesh out that part of the storyline in the real band. <laughs> it's, it's on spot. I gotta I gotta work on it. <laughs> Are you excited? Dude, I am. Do, I, <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. I know that you are, you're, you're quite excited for your topic. Yeah. And uh, I just kind of wanted to tell you, uh, he, first of all, welcome to Spooky Zone. Spooky Zone 21, Bainte Uno. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was my... I was trying to think of 21 in German, and I just absolutely shorted it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we've got uh, some topics for you. And then we each have a mystery thing that we're bringing to the table. Yeah. And then we go into our listener stories. Now, here's a little glimpse behind the curtain. We've recorded our, our listener stories already. Yeah, we generally uh, do that first. When I tell you to buckle up down for these, Jesus, I'm not playing. Fuck, dude. Like, I, oh my gosh. I, I like came out of there and seagull memed at Hunter. <laughs> but I'll tell you something else. And I don't want to give anything away here, but I will tell you, I can't get that first story out of my head. <laughs> it is perhaps the most wholesome adorable i would have read books like that then in fact i yes. basically did you know or yeah. the equivalent of like a lot of books involving sentient animal characters mm -hmm. that was my jam mm -hmm. that was the life that i wanted to live and still is really uh yeah, and yes. um it, it hits all those boxes and more yeah and more so buckle up and get ready uh, all I all I have to say for you is sneakers and Soren. Be ready. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, with that said, let's let's like let's fucking go, dude. Yeah, it's, I'm the, ready. It's almost here. Spooky season is so close. We could lick it. Good. Um, we'll put our tongue on it. We're gonna put our just tongue little, on it. And just give a little, give a little, little taste. taste. Mm. What do you think spooky season tastes like? I think spooky season, because it is spooky and the veil is thin, I think it tastes mm. like whatever you want it to taste like. Okay. Wow. W what do you want yours to taste like? 
I want mine to, to you know what? Listen, I'm 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 going to be real conventional with it because it, there's a reason Pumpkin? everybody loves these things. I want it to taste like the smell in the air of the first safely burnable pile of leaves to where you won't set yes. the whole woods on fire. Um, and to where it's the first fire in which you burn leaves in which the fire is actually a little warming to you. You're not getting away from it yes. because it's too hot. You're getting close to it because it feels really good. So it smells, it, there's definitely a wood smoke or leaf smell in there. Um, then yeah, uh, simmer pots like cider, cinnamon and apples and anise. Caramel. Yeah. All those things. I mean, just because it's wonderful and there's just also... There's a smell to fall air that does not yes. involve burning leaves. It's, it's it's something I can't pin. It's uh -huh. a crispness and it's a smell unique all of its own. And that's that's a smell for me too. There is almost a sweetness to it, but it's not like a, a um, sickly sweet. It's just uh, I don't I don't even know what it is. It's just so unique. And me and my dad have always talked about it. Like I feel like every year of my life we've either told each other or texted each other like if we didn't live we've been like oh i it was i went outside and i smelled it i smelled it today you know and that's like the mm -hmm. beginning that's how you know that in the first amber evening yeah the, yeah your first little orange day mm -hmm. oh it's coming back i'm very excited and i know a lot of you guys are excited out there i've seen a lot of hype for halloween this year so with that what are we talking about today so <sighs> I'm talking about something at the risk of it being like kind of current because like there is something like there is like a, a Netflix doc that has just come out that's like so it's oh like this, this could be like a you know something that a lot of people are already aware of but I, this is something I've heard about my whole life but I was not aware of the the just the true horror of it to the point to where learning about it actually made me have a nightmare and that's when I was like you know what this is going to be my topic because I never have bad dreams about stuff I research or really, like, I really usually don't. And for something to rattle me and my subconscious to the point of, and even like before I went to bed, I remember thinking, I'm going to have a dream. I'm going to dream about this, you know. Um, but this is something that was very real, something not supernatural at all. Granted, I think if you get into the concept of energy and all of that, it's very supernatural. But this is something very real and mundane, but not so much in how it all went down. But I'm talking about Woodstock 99. Wow. I was not expecting that. Yeah. Um, dude, I I can't wait to tell this. And I, here's the thing, too. I want anyone of our listeners who was there to write us. Like, I want to, I want to read your story so bad. Like, cause this is something again, like I'd always heard like, all, like there was this cloud I knew surrounding this concert that was bad. It was bad, you know, but I didn't really know how. And um, this is actually probably one of my most intense topics I've ever had. And like one of the ones I want to put the biggest, thickest, um, trigger warning label on that I have ever okay. had, especially yeah. regarding sexual assault. Okay. There's a lot. All right. Um, and that's, that, that is, I think, a good time to kind of jump in here and say, uh, sometimes we do put it up front. We need to go ahead and record like an official thing. <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, this is a spooky sode. Uh, some of these stories go pretty hard. And if you do feel like a story is kind of moving in a direction that you are not comfortable with, um, by all means, go ahead and skip it. But we will have some pretty... Uh, mature, hard to deal with themes throughout. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Shit, we'll be even, talking. Uh-huh. I was going to say, even if it's just like existential dread. Like truly, like there's one also, dude, like there's like this story in particular has something absolutely horrifying for everybody. Like there was parts, dude, when I was taking notes that I was like, I'm almost nervous at conveying this to you because I know it is very sensitive in certain parts with like y- your fears and your things, you know, I'm very it's got something for everybody. Scared. It's just awful. Okay. All right. Well, um, it'll be a game. You can tell your story and then everyone can guess at the part that offends me when I go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was feeling nostalgic for one of my favorite topics that we've ever done in a spooky soda. I was feeling nostalgic okay. for the Gary Sudbrink tapes. Oh, God. And I was like, God. Damn it, that's one of my favorite things. I loved the um, transcript nature of it. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, I did. I, I also just sort of liked relaying a story kind of campfire style. So I was like, I'm going to try to find a couple of things like that. So I have for you today, and I, and this is also kind of similar to like the phone calls beyond the grave episode, but this is just unexplained Phone calls, text messages, voicemails, instances where uh, things just don't, like, line up with technology and uh, communications. Mm. And I'm, I'm excited about it. Who goes first? Shall we flip? Well, too, I guess we also, do we want to do our warm-up? Because I think we both brought a warm-up act. See, uh, I didn't bring a warm-up act. I brought something that I thought was going to go in between our stories and the listener stories. It can. I mean, either way, uh, we we each have a secondary act. Okay. Well, I was going to say that that actually works out because we you could pop yours off for like a warm-up. Okay. I, I think we'll do that. And um, I can do mine for like in-betweener. Yeah. I like that. Cool. So um, I was thinking, I was like, what is something that we have not done yet, you know, like a, like on the show that we can do like a, like a space filler, you know, a thing that we can do okay. a game or so a like when we, like when we do the mash or, or something like that. Yeah. I was like, what is something that we haven't really done? And I was like, you know what? We've not done creepy pastas. And <laughs> I actually brought a kind of like serious one. Um, okay. And I just really enjoyed reading this. And it's kind of intense. Um, it, it, it's just, I don't know. It's This is one, if you are made uncomfortable by the concept of time dilation, ooh, this is for you, buddy. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So this is called, if you're armed and at the Glenmont Metro, please shoot me. So... Pretty the the beginning's pretty violent, but you'll kind of get you'll get into pretty why grabbing it. It really is. It's got a clickbaity title, but you you'll come to get why at the end. So here we hey, go. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get on into it. Okay, uh, this is this is about like a it's a ten minute read. So settle in ten to twelve okay. minutes, and let's just settle on in. Here we go. <clears throat> oh, and this was written by I guess I should say real quick. Um, 
Listen, I maybe at the bottom. I'm going to find it, but we'll all tell okay. you. But if all else fails, we'll do a good uh, old school. Her new, her, what was it? Her name was Susan <laughs> Fair. Yeah, we'll slip it in there somewhere. Hmm. So here we go. If you're armed and at the Glenmont Metro, please shoot me. Make it a headshot. Shoot me in the temple. Aiming slightly downwards, I need the bullet to travel the shortest possible distance through my brain before it hits my hippocampus. If I'm lucky, the sensation of the gunshot ripping through my skull will only last a few decades. As awful as this sounds, you'll be doing me an enormous favor. Death by a headshot, as soon as possible, is vastly better than the alternative. My ordeal started over 10,000 years ago at 10.15 this morning. I earn extra money by participating in drug trials. I'm a so-called healthy subject who takes experimental drugs to help assess side effects. Once, it was a kidney drug. A few times, it has been something for blood pressure or cholesterol. This morning, they told me the drug I took was a psychoactive substance intended to accelerate brain function. None of the drugs I had tested so far have ever done anything for me in the recreational sense. In other words, none of the drugs I've tested have given me a killer buzz or mellowed me out or anything. Maybe I've always ended up the placebo group, but nothing I've tested had affected me at all. Today's drug was different. This shit worked. They gave me a pill at 1015 and told me to hang out in the waiting room until they called me back for some tests. Only about 30 minutes, the research assistant told me. I flopped onto the waiting room couch and read a few articles from a copy of Psychology Today that was sitting on the coffee table. They hadn't called me back when I finished the Psychology Today, so I picked up a U.S. News and read it cover to cover. Then I read an old Scientific American. What was taking them so damn long? I sluggishly turned my head to look at the wall clock. It was only 10.23 a.m. I had read three magazines in eight minutes. I remember thinking this was going to be a long day, and I was right. The waiting room had a little bookshelf with some used hardcovers on it. When I stood up to walk to the bookshelf, it felt like my legs barely worked. Not that they were weak, they were just slow. It took a full minute just to stand up off the couch, and another minute to take two steps to the bookcase. I scanned the old books on the shelf and picked out a copy of Moby Dick, My arms had the same problems as my legs. Just reaching one foot ahead of me to grab the book took a long time. I actually got bored just waiting for my hand to reach the spine of the book. I slogged back to the couch and collapsed onto it in a slow-motion fall that reminded me of the low-gravity hops of astronauts on the moon. I opened Moby Dick, slowly, and began reading. I started with Call Me Ishmael. And as far as Ahab throwing his pipe into the sea, which is all the way to friggin' chapter 30, before they called me back. Mm. How are you feeling? The research assistant asked me. I feel slow, I said. Actually, it's the other way around. Everything seems slow because you're so fast. But my legs, my arms, they're moving in slow motion. Your body seems like it's moving slowly because your brain is fast. Your brain is running 10 or 20 times faster than normal. You are thinking and perceiving reality at an accelerated pace, but your body is still constrained by the laws of biomechanics. Frankly, you're moving much faster than a normal person. She pantomimed a jogging motion. But your brain is running so much faster right now that even your fast walk seems very slow to you. 
I thought about my slow-motion flop onto the waiting room couch. Even if my muscles had slowed down, my body would still react to gravity the same way. But in the waiting room, I even fell in slow motion. Slow muscles couldn't explain why gravity seemed weaker. My brain was going at warp 10. That's how I managed to read three magazines and the first 30 chapters of Moby Dick in 15 minutes. They ran a series of tests on me. The physical tests were fun. They made me juggle three balls, then four, then six. I had no problem keeping six balls in the air because they seemed to be moving so slowly. It was boring, frankly, waiting for each ball to move through its arc so I could catch it with my slow-motion hands and toss it back into the air. They threw Cheerios into the air, and I caught them with chopsticks. They dropped a handful of coins, and I counted the total value before they hit the ground. The cognitive tests were less fun, but very illuminating. Finish a 50-word word search. Three seconds. Solve an intricate maze drawn into a poster-sized paper. Two seconds. View a slideshow projected at 10 images per second and answer detailed questions about what I saw. 95% correct. They told me I measured over 250 on the NOF scale. Apparently, that's deep in the superhuman range of thinking speeds. Then they sent me home. It'll wear off in a few hours, they said, which will seem like days to you. Try to use the residual effects to get some work done. Catch up on work emails while you're still in high-speed mode. The ride home was horrible. It was only three metro stops, and in real-world time, only took about 35 minutes. But in my drug-accelerated hypertime, it felt like days. Days. Mm. Just walking out of the medical research suite to the elevator seemed like it took an hour. I sprinted out of the office, willing my legs to push me faster, but the laws of biomechanics held me prisoner. As accelerated as my brain was, I couldn't do anything to make my legs work faster. The huge disconnect between my body and mind made it extremely difficult to judge how and when to slow down, to turn, or rotate my body. I had basically turned into giant slow-motion spaz. I misjudged my speed and rammed into the wall by the elevator button at a pretty good speed. Even though I could see the wall coming at me, I couldn't make my finger outstretched to hit the elevator button move away fast enough, and I jammed it against the wall. Hard. The pain was intense. If my brain had been running at regular speed, it probably would have only hurt for about 30 seconds or so. But in my accelerated state, the intense pain seemed to last for half an hour, 45 minutes maybe. The elevator ride was horrible. It felt like I spent four or five hours just descending seven floors with nothing to look at but the interior of the elevator car. I sprinted to the metro station. I have to admit, this part was almost fun. Even though my body moved at what seemed to me super slow speed, I could still carefully choose how and where to place my feet, swing my arms, and turn my torso. It only took a block or two to get used to having my brain that ran two dozen times faster than my body. Then I basically sprint danced the rest of the way, twisting and juking between people on the sidewalk and dodging moving cars with inches, aka minutes, of clearance. Could you imagine? I know. It's it's so. Can you imagine seeing this person, seeing them running full speed, just Edward flopping? Exactly. Yeah. I spent an hour in my time frame descending into the subway and running to the platform. Endless tedium, waiting the six minutes for the red line train to arrive. Although there was more to look at on the metro platform than inside the elevator, it was still intensely boring. I should have stolen that copy of Moby Dick. 
The red line train roared into the station in slow motion. The normally high-pitched squeal of its brakes was frequency shifted by my high-speed mind into a long, low tone, like a monotone tuba solo. It wasn't just the squealing subway train that was three octaves lower than normal. All sound was slowed to the point of near inaudibility. Voices were gone, shifted below the threshold frequency of my hearing. I did manage to hear a screaming baby on my subway car. Her shriek slowed to sound like whale songs. Sharp sounds. I know that's the one sound you could still hear is a screaming baby. Sharp sounds like a car horns and trucks bouncing over potholes were low, muddied roars like distant thunder. Back at the research offices, I could hear and communicate with the research staff, but now verbal communication with anyone would be impossible. The the effects of the drug were still intensifying. I spent what seemed like days on that fucking red line train. Days, listening to the whale song of the screaming baby and the tuba solo of the brakes, where ordinary voices were frequency shifted out of my audio range. Smells didn't seem to be affected. I never became nose-blind to the body odor, the stench of the train's brakes, the melange of farts and other smells wafting through the metro car. I finally got back to my apartment. Sprinting through my open door and into the front hall at full speed was like a slow, relaxing drift down a lazy river. I was relieved to be home. I at least had stuff I could do here. I picked up the book I was reading, 100 Years of Solitude, and finished it. Despite turning the pages so quickly that I tore many of them, it seemed like most of my time spent finishing the book was spent on the page turning and not actually reading. Three minutes had passed since I got home. Ew. I tried surfing the internet. My God, does it take a long time for computers to boot these days, but it was too frustratingly slow. Hours, seemingly, to load each new page, and a fraction of a second to read it. A hundred articles in my newsfeed read in just three more minutes done. I dipped into my pile of yet-to-be-read books and finished two more. Four more minutes had passed. I decided to try and sleep off the remaining effects of the drug. Unfortunately, whatever part of my mind is responsible for perception, the part that has been accelerated to hyperspeeds by the drug, isn't the same as the part that governs sleep. Despite being awake for what I perceived as days, my physical brain still thought it was 1.25 p.m. It was not ready for sleep. Nevertheless... Pop some NyQuil, bro. Well, here we go. Nevertheless... I tried to sleep. I walked to my bedroom, a slow 45-minute drift through my apartment, and flung myself into my bed, lazily falling like a feather into the mattress. I closed my eyes and lay there for hours and hours, 10 minutes of of reality time, before giving up. Sleep would not come. I was facing what was going to feel like days or maybe even weeks of being trapped in a slow-motion prison. So I took an Ambien. The sensation of the pill and the splash of the water I used to swallow it sliding down my throat was sickening, a lump that blocked my breathing, moving like a slug down my esophagus. I read a book. Ten minutes had passed. I read another. Eighteen minutes since I took the Ambien. I threw the book across the room in disgust at my situation. The book slowly pirouetted and spun through the air like a leaf blowing in the breeze. It had hit the wall with a long, faint rumble, the only sound I had heard for what seemed like hours, and then drifted to the floor like a flip-flop sinking in a swimming pond. The force of gravity hadn't changed since I took the pill. The laws of physics were the same. 
It was just my perception of time that had gone wackadoo. This meant I could use the speed things seemed to fall as a way of judging the effects of the drug. Based on how long it took the book to drift to the floor, I estimated the effects of the drug were still intensifying. I read a magazine. I turned on the television. I clearly saw each frame of video like I was watching a slideshow. Frustrated, I turned the television off. I read some more. The first two books of Churchill's A History of the English-Speaking Peoples. Not exactly a light read. Frankly, I hated it. But given the hours of tedium it would take to go get another book off my bookshelf, just sitting on the couch and reading Churchill was better, or at least less worse. It had now been 35 minutes since I took the Ambien. I lay down on the couch and closed my eyes. Time passed. I inhaled an hours-long process. Time passed. I exhaled for more hours. Sleep would not come. I needed a new plan. I decided to go back to the offices where they gave me the drug. Maybe they would have something that could counteract its effects, or at least something to knock me out until it wore off. I exited my apartment as fast as possible, taking hours in my time frame to do so. I didn't even bother locking the door. It would have taken too long. Down the stairs, it's faster than the elevator if you run, through the lobby, out the front door, and onto the street. These few things felt like a long day at the office. Sprinting down the street, dancing and weaving between pedestrians with what must have looked to them superhuman dexterity. Down the first... Pause. Mm. Do you remember that old YouTube video with, like, the crash dummy that just, like, wiggled his way on the... Like through the town, and there was that song like yes, yes, that was one of my favorite videos of all time. Yes, still is exactly. That's what I'm picturing, but just slow. (laughs) (laughs) Down the first flight of stairs at the metro, across the landing, another hour, then onto the second flight of stairs. That's when the ambient hit me. The ambient didn't make me sleepy, not at all. Instead, it must have a severe cross-reaction with the experimental drug I took this morning. The fuck? I was bounding down the second flight of stairs, moving in slow motion, but still making perceptible progress. Then, wham, everything stopped. The dull roar of the street and the metro noise ceased, replaced by the most perfect silence I had ever experienced. My downwards motion seemed to completely freeze. Before the Ambien kicked in, my perception of time was maybe a few hundred times slower than real time, but the Ambien took effect, and time moved thousands of times slower. Every second seemed like days to me. Even just moving my eyes to focus on a new point was like an impossibly slow scroll across my visual field. Over the course of the afternoon, I learned how to walk, run, and jump when my mind ran hundreds of times faster than my body. But with another four or five orders of magnitude of slowdown caused by Ambien, body control was almost impossible. I fell on the stairs. Even though I was all but frozen in mid-step, controlling my muscles was impossible. I commanded my foot forwards for hours, then backwards for hours more when it seemed like I would miss the next step. Hours attempting to adjust the angle of my ankle, then readjusting when it felt wrong. Despite these efforts, I rolled my ankle on the next step. The pain wasn't at all mitigated by the slowness. Hours of increasing strain on my bent ankle. 
The nerve signals that send pain into the brain must work differently than the nerves in my ear. Sonic energy was spread out over time, diluted until it was imperceptible. Pain flowed into my brain, undiluted by the change in my perception of time. Hours and hours of increasing weight on my turned ankle turned into hours and hours of increasing pain upon increasing pain. I pitched forwards, my high-speed mind completely unable to control my low-speed body. I drifted downwards for days, managing to rotate my torso enough to keep my head from impacting the ground first. I eventually... let it. I know at this point. let it. I eventually landed on my right shoulder. At first, the impact wasn't even noticeable. Then I felt a slight pressure in my shoulder as it came in contact with the ground. The pressure grew, bringing increasing pain for hour upon hour, and my shoulder finally gave out, popping out of its socket with an endless, sickening tug. I came to stop days later, crumpled into the ground, staring at the ceiling, the pain in my shoulder still screaming with the intensity of a fresh, violent injury. I had plenty of time to think during that fall. If every second seemed like days to me, then each minute of real-world time would be like years. Even if the drug cleared out of my system in the next two or three hours, this nightmare would seem to last for centuries. By the time I hit the ground, I had a plan. I would somehow get to the platform and throw myself in front of the train. I twisted onto my hands and knees, days of my dislocated shoulder crying for relief. I misjudged my rotation and rolled onto my back. I tried again, collapsing onto my face as I tried to figure out how to control a body that moved slower than grass grew. Weeks of effort were finally rewarded with success. I stabilized on my hands and knees. If just getting on all fours was difficult, I figured that walking or running was completely out of the question. So I crawled. I crawled through the metro tunnel. The dumb looks on the faces and the crowd lingered on me for weeks. I crawled under the turnstile and onto the escalator. The escalator spilled the rush hour crowd onto the platform at the same speed a glacier spills ice into the sea. I looked out over the crowded platform during my interminable downward ride. The train status sign said the next train wouldn't arrive for 20 minutes. 20 minutes was like a year to me. I'd have to spend a year on the metro platform waiting to die. This is making me sweat. Dude, I know. My, it made me too. When I read it, I was like, oh, this is it. You're it. Oh, I just realized that my mouth was totally dry. I crawled off the escalator, enduring days of stupid expressions on the commuters' faces. I crawled a few feet to a concrete bench and curled up next to it, trying to find a position to lessen the pain in my shoulder. Then my problem with time got worse, and possibly worse. The massive slowdown on the stairs was just the beginning of an interaction between the experimental drug and the Ambien. It fully hit me when I was curled up by the bench. I blinked, and years of darkness followed. Sound was already gone, and with my blink, sight was gone as well. All that existed was the pain from my fall. My hyper-accelerated mind wasted no time compensating for the lack of sensory input. Voices spoke to me. They sung to me in languages that never existed. Patterns and faces and colors came and went in my mind's eye. I recalled my whole life and imagined living another. I forgot English. I settled into profound despair. I spoke to God. I became God. I imagined a new universe and brought it to life with my thoughts. Then I did it again and again. My eyes opened with geologic slowness. A faint glow, weeks. A slit of light, weeks. A narrow view of the metro platform, ankles of the commuters near me, and an advertisement on the opposite wall. I extracted my phone from my pocket, a project that spanned decades. 
How can I even explain the boredom? The pain in my shoulder is nothing compared to the boredom. Every thought I can think I have thought a hundred times already. The view of ankles and advertisements never changes, never. The boredom is so intense, it's tangible, like a solid object of metal and stone wedged into my skull. Inescapable. What are my options? If I crawl and fall into the tracks without an oncoming train to crush me, I won't die. I'll experience even more pain from the four-foot fall, but I'll most likely be rescued by some do-gooder on the platform and unable to act when the train finally does arrive. My suffering in that scenario will be endless. So I wait for the train. So I can throw myself under it. When it finally hits me, I will experience the pain of being ripped to pieces for centuries until finally the light of life leaves my brain and my experience ends. I've lived hundreds of lifespans at the foot of this bench. I'm far older in spirit than any human who has ever lived. Most of my life experience has been a snapshot of pain huddled on the floor of a subway platform with an unchanging view of ankles and advertisements. So this post is my plan B, my Hail Mary, my long shot. I've spent lifetimes typing and posting this message in the hope that someone will read it and become convinced that my suffering must end. Someone on this platform right now. Someone who will find the man curled under the bench, the man who crawled down the escalator and kill him as swiftly as possible, a bullet to the temple. If you're armed and at the Glenmont Metro, please shoot me. Get the fuck out. <laughs> get the fuck out that's the worst thing i've ever heard and that was written by peter frost david by the way oh my god i didn't oh my mouth is dry <laughs> i know dude isn't that so so fucking scary brother i everything around me hold on i have to like wake my computer back up everything around me just went dead because I, I was just sitting still with my mouth open, staring at the speaker. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Um, where do we go from here? Hey, into, into one of our topics, dude. This is, I think, going to be a, a pretty fucking heavy spooky zone. Like, it's kind of shaping up that way. And I don't think there's really anything to do to stop it. Uh, well, okay. My, uh, my topic is pretty, um, God, I'm, I'm shook, dude. I'm shook. And I just want to say that was written really well. Really dude. well. Yeah, it was, I really, really, really well. liked reading it. It got me immediately. And, um, it's so, it makes so much more sense now in the beginning, like talking about like why it's important to where the shot is placed just so the bullet will travel the least amount of distance. Cause they're going to fill every, micro tiny measurement of that passage until it gets there like it's just and awful that's the kind of thing that like even if you continued and everything wore off and you woke up completely fine in body you would never be the same after no that. yeah you've lived for eons and eons you probably are still gonna want to check out if you know what I'm you know like, like that's Awful. You know, like in the Mr. Nimbus episode of Rick and Morty, when Jessica is that. like, that's kind of that. what it's like. Yeah. 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 Uh, what would you do? Let, let's 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 even take what away would the you awful. Do? Um, if you were to give up your dream, dream freedom. freedom. Let's take away the ambient part. And let's just say that you were kind of stuck in that. Uh, the 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 the. the 
part that seems way less bad in comparison. Okay. Um, first of all, if I was going to be willing enough to be an experimental subject, I'm not going to do it on days when I don't have someone monitoring me. So, like, okay. first of all, set like be- starting there, I would want to have, like, either, like, you or, like, Lyra or my mom sitting, okay. you know. Um, and you would be able to communicate to us. Uh, because at that point, he was still able to communicate. Yeah, I mean, it it did intensify to her before taking the ambient in the room, in the apartment. It was still intensifying because, like, the book was still falling slower. And then voices on the subway were starting to get lesser and lesser. But I'd rather rather spend what felt like hours waiting for a page to load than than millennia blinking. Exactly. Yeah, I think they they really, (laughs) if you have someone supervising you, you can't leave again. Like, by all rights, they should have went home and stayed there. You know, but they panicked and understandably so. But like, right. if like my mom was there, she'd be like, no, you're going to fucking lay down or you're going to sit here and you're going to do what you need yeah. to do. You're not leaving and you're sure as fuck not going to take an ambient or something, which is yeah. also that was never, it seems explicitly said not to do. So. I mean, I, I you know, I guess there's, it, it's like those drug trials, dude. Yeah. I don't know the ins and outs of them. I don't know if they tell you, like, don't do things. Or if there's, like, a low-key, like, well, we'll learn something if you do. Um, my God, this was, like, what Lucy wanted to be, but so much better. Yes, exactly. Like, this this, this online creepy pasta. yes, infinitely better <laughs> than Lucy. <laughs> All right. Well, I will tell you that my topic is, uh, I don't want to say lighthearted. It's creepy, but it's definitely, uh, it's not an existential creepy like that. And it's relatively short. And then what I have brought to the table for you today is similar in the vein of creepypastas and online stuff, because I want to talk a little bit about SCP. Yes, dude. I almost, I almost picked one and I was like, you know what? No, because I think you're gonna. Ah, okay, okay. Well, I did, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about what SCP and SCP Foundation is, uh, you know, just prior to what I go into. But what it's really is is I have a I have a quiz here for you to find out which SCP you are, and then we're gonna learn about that SCP in general. What a perfect what a perfect segue into listener stories. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's gonna be the the Sherbert that helps to cleanse. Do Sherbert? It will be. Everything that just fucking happened. Yeah. Um, but with that said, let me let me settle in here. I, I've, I'm I'm not even trying to be mushmouth and like stuttery. I just can't put my shit together. So I've got unexplained phone calls. Okay. Whew. So the first one I have is a tale from a nine one one call. And you can go and listen to this 911 call online. Now, this isn't like the Julia episode or the sounds from the deep, because I wasn't quite sure what sounds I was free to use. Uh, And every time I found these sounds, it wasn't from like a Wikipedia or free share place. It was like a a news article that had already been written. So if you want to look it up, look up the Imperial Memorial Gardens 911 phone call. So Imperial Memorial Gardens is a funeral home. And uh, 911 received a call from the Imperial Memorial Gardens at around 3.30 in the morning. Okay. The dispatcher answered the phone in the normal way, asked all the normal questions, but 
couldn't couldn't hear anyone and the call disconnected. So they kind of do what they do in that situation where they send officers out, they like log that nobody picked up, and they try to make a return phone call to see if someone will pick up. So dispatch tries to call back to see if someone is there and needs help, but the phone actually answers. It, it is picked up, but there's no uh, clear voice on the other line. It's static, and then there's occasionally this low, unintelligible, like, muttering. Okay. Heard. Great. And it's, it's kind of like, and if you listen really hard, you'll kind of hear a, like, yes. Yeah. Just like that. Uh, and then eventually, you know, and you can hear the, the dispatcher saying stuff like, hi, how are you there? Do you need help? And then eventually they just kind of go, uh, <laughs> and the phone and the call ends. Okay. When the uh, officers arrived to the Imperial Memorial Gardens funeral home, not only is the place closed down, like, but it's locked up. There, there wasn't even staff on the premises. It wasn't like, oh, I'm a mortician here for the day. You know, and we're not having funerals, but we're open or like he could have knocked the phone over and then just asked, you know, there wasn't the, you know, since the cop, there was no like kids on the premises. There was no sign of breaking and entering. And um, this story kind of kind of got out and several news stories ran publications on it. And uh, the one of the worst things about the story to me is that the employees of the funeral home who were being reached out to by, by everyone, you know, in this town, they said that when they came back to work the next day or the next time they came back in, there was nothing. Nothing was missing. Nothing was out of place. Nothing was different whatsoever. And the story got so big, especially locally, that um, an officer, Tom Rummel, made the tweet uh, he, he tweeted about the incident. He said, eh, it's probably just line trouble, right? Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> so like even the, even the officers involved, no one knows what's fucking going on. Uh, and as you can imagine, there's tons of theories about what this could be. And some are very mundane, you know, some are like, oh, it was line trouble or kid, you know, people were fucking around, whatever. But to me, the fact that there is a documented 911 call, that I can listen to, and it sounds almost a little bit like that goddamn ghost dinner party that we had uh, at uh, Magnolia. Mm. Makes me feel like a spirit there tried to place a call for some. They didn't know what was going on. Something was something happened that was outside of our realm of control, and it is totally and completely to this day unexplained. Whoa! I've got one from Reddit. This is from Affiliate Shadows, I do believe. Okay. They say, this is not my story, but my dad's. Back in the 80s, my dad was a skater kid in his 20s. 20s, And his buddy, who we called uncle growing up, despite the fact that he was not related, they were hanging out at my dad's house. Um, Yeah, they were hanging out at my dad's house with everyone who lived there. And it was about two or three in the morning. And they were just chilling, watching TV when the old rotary phone suddenly rings. Now, my dad's buddy was a jumpy guy. Mm. He had, on several occasions, accompanied him to some sort of crazy fair 
uh, one time going to a place where there was psychics and palm readers and stuff like that. And he went for a reading, which was a big mistake. He got so freaked out that my dad had to take him home because he borderline, he had a, what was a borderline panic attack. He was a nervous sort of guy, but he happened to be the one that answered the phone that night. Oh, no. Accor- according to my dad, this side of the conversation went something like this. Friend. Hello. His face looks normal, but there's a pause. Friend. Yeah? Yeah, this is him. Suddenly looks visibly confused. And a Ew, bit yeah, because he's not even at his own house. Then he goes, no. He's silent for a moment and starts to look freaked out. Then the friend says, what the fuck? Yelps, slams the phone down on the receiver. Okay, that'd be me. <laughs> My dad got the details of the conversation out of him and found out that on the other line, there was what sounded like an old lady's voice. The conversation ended up being something like this. Friend, hello? Caller, is dad's name there? Friend, yeah? Are you his friend? Ew. Yeah. This, yeah, I'm him. Caller says, do you know where I am? The friend says, no. And that's when he starts to look freaked out. The caller says, I'm in the basement. Oh, God, gross, mean, no. Friend says, what the fuck, hangs up the phone. So the two of them, it says the two of them then hold up in the living room all night, totally freaked out. My dad had, um, my dad originally thought it was a friend of theirs screwing with them. However, the longer they live there, weird things continue to happen in that house. And there was some sort of a connection between an old lady who used to live there before. When it came to ghosts and the paranormal, my dad has always been a skeptic. But living in that house is what changed his mind. Wow. Wow. All right. I've got one that kind of freaked me out. and But like reading back around it, I was like, I wonder if this is going to freak anybody else out. <laughs> okay. So this is a story up, or a, uh, a retelling of a story uploaded by YouTuber Braxton McHammond. Okay. So a mom, son, and a daughter are all home. The mom and son are kind of hanging out together in the same room, and the daughter is nearby. Like, not the same room, but next room over. Mom's cell phone keeps going off, and every time it says it's, the you know, the daughter's name pops up. And after a couple of calls, you know, so far she's doing the mom thing. You know, and she's like, what What do you want? You're calling me to, like, bring you a drink or something. Sure. Right? Yeah. You know, the stupid shit you call your mom for or whatever. So after several calls, the mom is finally like, what? <laughs> and nobody knows what the fuck she's talking about. So she goes to the daughter and she's like, why are you calling me? And daughter profusely is like, I am not calling you. You know, she's showing her her phone and, like, she's like, my phone's acting a little weird. But look, there's no place to call. It's not me. And the mom is still thinking that her kids being a little shit. So uh, she looks at her phone and sees that one of these calls actually left a voicemail. And the mom's thinking, ah, I got you. You know, she's like, I'm going to listen to this voicemail and it's going to be like the sounds of the house. It's going to be mm-hmm. us, you know, very obviously it's proof that this was just you. But when she plays the voicemail and you can hear this one also online, um, the voicemail is this frantic undead almost sounding screech of what sounds like a young girl eerily similar to the daughter. And the screeching was so much. And, and when I say like, I like undead, I, you know, like in zombie flicks or games where they're like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like that thing. That's what I'm talking about. And 
she was one room over my guy. She would have heard her daughter making that noise or leaving her that voicemail, you know. And there are a lot of people who think that this is a case of technology reaching out between timelines. And if so, what trouble was the girl in? I mean, who fucking knows? I don't know, but I liked that one. That one's pretty spooky. <laughs> I like the idea of calls from other dimensions. Yeah, it's 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 pretty icky. I've got one. This is the tale of Dylan Wallace. Dylan. Oh, uh, another one that you can listen to online. So a lot of these have have backupable, listenable. I won't say proof because you never know. But this one's creepy. So in the middle of the night, Dylan wakes up around one o'clock or so in the morning and he has a voicemail on his phone. The weird thing about it is that this voicemail was not dated from that night. It was dated for like a month prior, but it's like just showing up on his phone. So he listens to it and I'm going to kind of, I'm going to tell you what this voice message says. It says, Hey Dylan, just wanted to let you know that your bed, your bed's a really, it's a really nice color. I really like looking at it from the closet. It's really nice blue and white. And then there's this giggle that doesn't sound like, hee hee, I'm pulling a prank on you. It's this like, it's a really nice blue and white. <laughs> Ew. And the Collins. So guy freaks out. He's checking. There's there's nobody in his place, right? But he talks to his friends. He's like, which one of you is this? I don't mm-hmm. recognize this voice. It doesn't sound like, you know, the girlfriend or the girlfriend, you know, any of the girls that I'm friends with. Any, any Anyone with a like a um, almost childlike voice, but not a child. You know, someone like almost putting on this like kind of little voice here. Mm-hmm. He actually is so freaked out by this that he goes to the police. There's police records for this dude. I would do that. The, right. The cops listen to it and they basically go, ah, dude, that sucks. <laughs> and they're like, well, we can't really do anything. You know, it says that this came in a month before you came yeah. to us. And he's like, yeah, that's part of the weird. Yeah, but it's part of the weird shit. And they were just like, well, keep your house under surveillance. And that one to this day is unexplained. I've got a few more from Reddit because uh, I, I really, truly, I was trying to find more like creepypasta S ones, but the more I got into it, the more these real ones, like real tales from people just got me. So mm-hmm. I have, this is from Reddit user, sick with it. Oh, it's, yes. I had a Google, I had a Google voice to text set up with my Sprint phone. So last year, my grandmother passed away. And the day that she passed away, I got a voice text message. Uh, I got a voice to text message on my phone that said, I love you. I'm going now. God bless you. And it was from my aunt's phone number. But when I played this message back, it said nothing like that. It said, hi, we're headed to your uncle's. Call you later. I hate hmm. that. I mean, I don't hate it. I hate how it worked, but I think the message is overall sweet. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely not as creepy as I thought it could have gone. No, no. You know, and and what's funny is a lot of these that you get from people, uh, same thing with our listener stories. A lot of them are creepy, but a lot of them are just people being contacted in some way. And and having someone say like, yo, I'm I'm okay, or I'm gonna go now, or something like that. And it's 
more of a sweet thing. It's a, it's a bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. This one is weird though. This one is like not ghosty, but it's some high strangeness type shit. I don't know. This is from hello. This is MT. They say, I got a picture from a random number about 10 years ago. It was of a woman in her bra and underwear taking a selfie in the mirror. Not creepy on its own, but creepy because the woman looked identical to my wife. Mm. It wasn't my wife. There were some very tiny differences. It made me insecure for about a month before I finally showed it to my wife and asked if it was her. She said, what the fuck? And showed me a picture she received from a phone number identical to the one that sent me the picture of, you know, in quotes, her. Except one number was like off. Anyway, she received a picture of a dude that looked almost identical to me taking a selfie in the mirror with only underwear on. Mm. Both numbers never answered calls or texts from anyone who ever tried. That's gross. That's one of those things that I would probably just, like, log away. I'd compartmentalize it. I'd be like, yes, this happened. Yeah. Kind of move on, you know? And and then 15 years later, have a complete meltdown about it when it all comes back. Yeah, I, I would like drop an egg one day and then just go into a thousand yard stale. You see? Yeah, 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 yeah. It would all just boom. Oh, Crash. remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and my last one is from Tiny Pieces of Yarn. And I don't, it's, it's so short, but it's one of the creepy, I hate it. I got a voicemail at 3 a.m. It was just a man whispering, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I hate that. I like how you say "aw," but to me, it's because like they murdered a person. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true too. I went with it was just like a like a passed on person who just feels I don't know like they. Oh well, that's better. Yeah. See, I went immediately to murder. I feel like for once we flipped on spirit. I feel like usually you're the one that's like "aw," and I'm just like "Mm, they're probably a a school killer. (laughs) You've got me in a weird mood with your story. (laughs) You've switched my entire brain chemistry. I want to talk to you about SCPs. Okay. So if you I thought you were gonna wait to do that before we got to spooky stories. Or to listener stories. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I haven't done my topic yet. Oh, My brain said that that story was your top. I, I okay, yes, I'm with you. Go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me My go. My brain said I didn't want to hear any other story. Yeah, you're like, yeah, story. that's what I'm doing, stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually I thought you were going to yell at me about my topic being too short. No, I'm actually it's okay because my topic is 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 fiendishly long. All right. So I wanted to try to make this as engaging as possible because this is a spooky sode. And on the surface, it might seem a little strange to make my topic a music festival, um, particularly one that happened <laughs> like a long you know, time ago in, in 99. What is that? 30, 30 years now? Um uh, or about don't. to be 30 years. Uh, you shut your mouth. And so um, what makes this? So there's. Wait, there's, hold on. What? What year? 1999. 
Oh, this is not like the 60s. No, no, this is Woodstock 99. Okay. So, and also I can't do math. This is 2022. This was 1999. So this was not 30 years ago, but it was 20 fucking three, you know, or whatever. So still, but, and this is another thing that makes this topic interesting is it's very intriguing to look at the differences 23 years can make in a lot of different ways in regards to how and what is accepted in public. Um, and this event just has so many layers of scary. It's got so many layers of scary. And at the foundation of all of it is human nature. And I think that's what makes it the scariest of all. That's what's really, that's what rattles me about this more than anything is I, I find people, I find human nature to be a scary thing anyway. I don't, it's, I'm not one of those people that put people above animals. I think that we got it in us just like they do, you know? Um, a hundred percent. And this story is like a really good example of the, the old saying, like, people are three meals away from chaos. Like essentially civilization itself is three meals away from chaos. And to an extent that can really come through here in ways that are so frightening and violent and just all out, just, just wild. Um, So I'm going to tell you that story. And I wrote it in a way as we, we kind of arrive there. We arrive there on Friday um, and we just take this all in. Again, I was not there. Um, I was only four at the time, but you I tried there. I was not there, but I did really try to put a lot of time into putting this timeline together in a way that is concise enough to do it on a spooky sode, but try to get across what was going on here from the scratch. From hour one, the shit that was going on. So where you can start seeing the cracks form in the event itself. So we'll go ahead and get into it. And again, I do just want to say, if you went to this event, I want to, I want you to write us and I want you to, I want to hear about it. Um, good or bad, because of course there's people who went and are like, it was the best weekend of my life, you know? Um, I think that <laughs> there's definitely uh, differences in, in regards to like demographics uh, as to the people who, who said that and who didn't. But um, yeah, I, I would love to hear. I would love to hear your stories because this is a wild fucking ride. So strap in. Here we go. I'm extremely nervous. This is it's th- if you want to. This is this is a nightmare for me. This is. The reason I'm covering it, and I know this is not like a secretive story. This is not like an unknown. This is a big kind of well-known thing. And the reason I wanted to cover it despite that is because this scared the shit out of me. Because I, it's so scary, dude. So let's, before we get too deep, I just want to make some comparisons to kind of set the scene and kind of figure out maybe what the hell happened here. So to start, how many people came the three days total? So there's there's kind of differences here in looking around. So generally, all right, first of all, 1969, you see the number 400,000 people over and over again. So I'm even saying even higher. That's the OG Woodstock. That was the Woodstock 69. Nice. So in... <laughs> so 
1999, it also says that there were about 400,000 people that wound up getting into the event and showing up, um, with the general number that you see sometimes being in the crowd at one time, a quarter of a million people or 250,000 people. Uh, and the organizers themselves, which, oh boy, do we have a lot to say about them. Uh, they said, though, that the tickets actually undersold and were like 180,000, which people think is bullshit um, because also the capacity limit for the event, like legally, was 250K. So they purposely were like, no, we didn't sell even 200,000 tickets. Mm. It's all full of shit, dude. Those organizers, uh, it's so bad. So this is like Tanacon. The ground size. In 1969, so it was 600 acres of farmland, including uh, wooded areas, shaded areas. Um, now, you've seen the pictures of Woodstock, of course, by the end. It was pretty muddy and, um, you know, messy. But there were areas uh, in which that were that were kind of different and more grassy and had shade and things like that, that, you know, you could go to get away, um, get away from all of it. This was not like that. While the area was much larger, this was 3,600 acres, not only was it not farmland, this was a decommissioned air base. This was a concrete oh. air base. Yikes. And already there, there's a tone shift, you know. One is idyllic, peaceful farmland, and the other, while much larger, is a concrete wasteland of abandoned military base. <laughs> like, you're already off to a bad start. You're trying to recreate Woodstock? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, it's I'm just absurd. I'm very uncomfortable. It's, 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 it's insane. You know, so, I mean, like, that's number one. That's, we, that's where we begin. Okay. <laughs> oh. And something very important about this concrete wasteland is there is no shade. There's no shade. Hardly at all. And so oh, I want to I want to set this scene for you. Okay. And we'll we'll kind of look into the the first little tendrils of what made this event completely fall apart from the scratch because this is a story largely about capitalism and okay. <laughs> true and complete carnage that can occur when capitalism strips just a few too many layers of humanity away from a large crowd. This is exactly what happens. And before I do that, though, it's important to talk about why, if you were a person in this particular time of day, that this experience was going to be one of the most incredible, beautiful, mind-blowing experiences of your life. It was going to be amazing. You've got to go to Woodstock 99. It's going to just fucking blow your mind. And here's why. This sounds like fucking fire festival, dude. It, dude, this it, it is, but worse. And oh. so this thing was all over the radio. And I'll tell you why. I'm just going to read off the bands, okay? This is the full lineup. This is not okay. in order of, like, size, but this is in uh, alphabetical order. But I'm looking at the poster right now. This was, like, a legit poster, okay? So we're just okay. going to go in order. And this was on two different stages. There was the West stage, which was kind of the smaller stage, and the East stage, which was the big headlining stage. And music was going on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So here we go. Aerosmith. Bush, okay, the Chemical Ooh. Brothers, George Clinton, and the P Funk All Stars, Collective Soul, um, Counting Crows, Creed, Cheryl okay. Crow, 
Okay. <laughs> DMX. Lit. Everclear. Okay. Everlast. Okay. Fatboy Slim. Okay. Foo Fighters. Oh, okay. Godsmack. Okay. Guster, who I love. Uh, Mickey Hart and... Uh, wait, these are the same color, so it seems like they're a unit. Mickey Hart and Planet Drum. Okay. Ice Cube. <laughs> okay. This is kind of blurry and hard to read, but it looks like Jamiroquai, mm. Jewel, mm. Kid Rock. Okay. This is 1999. Uh-huh. Corn. Limp Biscuit. Uh-huh. Lit. Of Live. Course. Los Lobos. Dave Matthews Band. Okay. Crash. Into me. <laughs> Mike Ness, Our Lady Peace, Rage Against the Machine, Lit. Sugar Ray, oh. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rusted okay. Root, Brian Setzer Orchestra, The Offspring, The Tragically Hip, Wyclef Jean, and The Refugee All-Stars. That's the full lineup. So that's a that's a stacked lineup for 99, dude. It is. It it it's really anything. It's any it's what it's everybody, you know? Everybody it's cute. Everybody minus like the the like in sync pop stuff that was going on at the time, you know? Right. Uh it was basically everyone on the radio, everyone you could ever want to see all in one place. Like this was supposed to be redone in the spirit of Woodstock. So like how could it go wrong? You know, it sounds great. And largely the organizers and the promoters is how it all goes wrong because these fucking dickheads had absolutely no idea about these kids. They had no idea about the music they were booking and they had fucking no idea how to treat these kids. It was all, it's, it's so, and what sucks is that still to this day, many of them have not taken responsibility for it. Like they are just absolutely disgusting. And so, but this, this becomes evident in so many ways, but one of these ways is like how the lineup was booked and the order and like also how the talent was not ever clued into the misery that was going on in the event. In fact, they were separated from it, literally, like by a wall. They could not even, they they couldn't like hardly even see what was huh. going on at this festival. They had no idea. Like seems like a red flag. The depravity and the misery, you know? Um, and so when it was all over, the organizers really did try to blame the bands largely for what happened. And that's just ridiculous. Like, of course, people can make arguments that some of these bands, like, could have maybe looked out and seen what was going on. And in some cases, they did. And they did put a stop to it. But, like, in other times, you know, maybe they're like, well, they accelerated it. And it's like, at the same time, these bands came and did what they were paid to do. They put on a show sure. playing the genre of music that they play, that they were booked to play. It's not really necessarily their fault that the conditions of this place being an absolute horror show made them a mob. You know, well, also, the thing is, if they were being actively separated, they may not know the extent because they've got things like and, and I'm just assuming that we're going to get into the territory of there not being like enough facilities for people. Oh, buddy, so, get ready. <laughs> so like they've got their tour buses and shit, you know, they're not going down under the floor with the people. Like, they are not saying, struggling. Hey, yeah, they're yeah, they're not struggling. And all they see when they come out and I'm not trying to like. uh you know, I wasn't there, obviously. I have no extent to which it was or was not ignored. But it, it, to me, I feel like even in shitty situations, if you come out and do music, like, you're only seeing that 
chunk of people in front of you. And at most music festivals and concerts like that, it kind of looks the same. It's just like a sea of people in front of you. Well, and that's the thing. And that's something that I want to mention. This crowd. And if you look at footage of it, it it made me, that was one of my, that's one of the things that made this very hard for me to confront and what made me want to, this crowd is a quarter of a million people in one place watching one band. That is so fucking many people. And I mean, I just know the little bit of experience we've had in our very tiny live shows, people's faces kind of blur. Because you're in like a performance mode, you know? Yeah. Now imagine multiplying that to the nth degree while also being in this weird high state of being able to command this crowd of 250,000 people. So it's just like, it really bothers me when these like people clearly responsible because like of the conditions they created are like, it's the bands, they did it. And it's like, no, you piece of shit. Oh my God. Well. The thing is, is we're not talking about, say, like the situation with Travis Scott recently, you know, like where there was clearly some shit going down and it wasn't anywhere near that size of people. You know what I mean? I I feel like that's I just want to make it clear that that's not a situation we're talking about. (laughs) I feel like this is almost the um, I don't know, like you said, it's the people putting it on because it feels like there's intentional uh, blinders put on. Oh, so quickly. Um, and the organizers of the show, even from learning from the get-go that shit was falling apart, they just were like, no, it's not mm-hmm. to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's real fire festival shit, you know, like how he yeah. was just like, no, we'll get money. It's fine. We'll just, we'll just do it. It's fine. We'll yeah. just make money happen. You know, it's the same kind of shit. Yeah. You just kick the can down the road and blame everybody else. So that said, while not blaming the artists at all, the genre of the headliners cannot be looked away from, even though there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but in the right circumstance, in the right climate, with fueled by the right clueless, greedy people putting this together, this lineup can be potent because it's the perfect thing to com- like to help make a really, really upset, disenfranchised crowd feel like maybe they can do something. And not to say that it's like in going to incite violence when you talk in this the, new metal. So we're talking, you know, sure. this is new metal yeah. music. It, you, any new metal show at any city in any place in the world, they're going to say shit that's going to rile people up. That's just how it goes. So I it's mean, like, yeah, you know, my first thought is like, you come out there and you're, you you see fucking Rage Against the Machine. Like, they're always, talk, I mean, they're always having up. a... Yeah, you know, the Discord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and so, I mean, it's like pumped. that's that's the you know, that's what this. And so, it's like already too. So let's let's dial it back here. Concrete wasteland, old Air Force base, new metal versus <laughs> six hundred acres of idyllic farmland. Mm. Fucking summer of love acts. Fucking Janice jam bands, and yeah. you know Hendrix and Jefferson Airplane, like. And now we've got corn, Limp Biscuit, and fucking Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> and Sugar Ray. And Sugar Ray. So Sugar Ray's in here. Don't worry. Um, I put him in the story just because I had to. Hello. Yes. Thank you. So after all of this explaining, all of this intro, let's get to it. Okay. It's our first day. It's Friday. And we're coming into this festival with a three day camping pass so we're not missing a fucking thing this is going to be the weekend of a lifetime and so you brought some essentials excited 
We've oh, got so a bag excited! Full of shit. Yeah. We're gonna see all of our favorite bands you've ever. Oh, I've got, yeah. You know, I've got my little backpack on me. It's got my pup tent. I've got mm. some water and I've got some snacks. Just, to, you know, yep. it's, it's things like that. It's it's gonna be great, you know. So, um, it's fucking nineteen ninety nine, man, and you're a twenty two year old person, whoever you want to be in this story. Okay, I am ready to hook up with Dave Matthews. Yes. And into me <laughs> and so um you okay so you're you're camping here and you know you've got your tent you've got your water again you've got your toothbrush you know other things like that mm-hmm. and your car is a really long way away so really pretty much it's in town and you parked it so they're they're shuttling people back and forth there's like a bus so it's like you're kind of when the camping type people that like you don't really have a car base like you're you're rolling up in there really to to, to stay there you know, it's hard for you. The idea for you to leave is 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 the, very difficult, yeah. and it takes a it takes hours. You know, and you don't know if you want to leave and miss some shit. So, you're in it for the long haul, and you're excited. So, upon the entrance of the festival, you do start to notice some things immediately that are perhaps a bit surprising. Um, before you know it, all of your bags are being dumped out, rifled nope. through piece by piece. <gasps> all of your water is thrown away. No, no, um, no, no, no. All of, your, all of your snacks that you brought thrown away. Um, and you very quickly learn that, like, you know, unless pretty much you have a car as a base camp, which some people did if, like, they camped off, you know, a little ways. Um, you now know every bottle of water, every snack, every single thing you're going to need over these next three days is going to cost you money. And money you may or may not have. Uh, and if you have it, you may or may not even be able to access it. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Keep in mind. You've already paid $150 or about 270 today dollars to be here just for this Bro, ticket. I would I would already already be livid. And and also keep in mind too like really vastly the large attendance space here was kids was teenagers to like 20 somethings. You know, and this man they just gouge the fuck out of these kids. It's vile. Shit. Like and so and that's that's not just like it's not just a little money either because bottles of so you walk into the event right and bottles of water at this event are $4 each which is $7 today and they're not even like from what i saw like full size they're like bullshit small ones do you think and they're like taking the bottles that they took from people and reselling those it um I, honestly it wouldn't surprise me with like just the depths of disgusting shit that they pulled in this so now, now let me mention, uh, they were very proud of these. Um, there were these very crude metal, like, pipe water stations with these open faucets. And they were right by the porta johns always. Ew. These open faucets that you turn with your hands, these big, long, open kind of trophy faucets. These were the things everybody was supposed to, yeah, refill your water, wash your hands, all of the same things in the same Ew. place, right by the porta potties. And so we'll get to these porta johns in a minute because we can't talk about Woodstock 99 Without getting into the sanitation issues, but... I don't want to get into the sanitation issues. Before we get there, let's just talk about... Let's look around and take in what our eyes are, 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 are seeing. So very quickly, your eyes are adjusting to a blazing scene. And you try to take it all in. So people 
people, and concrete is all that you can see for as far as you can see. And there's excitement in the air and people are exploring the air base and getting the lay of the land. Tents are being set up, but not in grassy areas, just right on the blazing concrete, uh, right under the blazing sun. And everything, in fact, is under the blazing sun, save a few scant slivers of shade that splinter off of vendor buildings or other structures. There were not many of these. So let's summarize again. We'll be coming back routinely just to just to kind of summarize the situation. You're here on a concrete platform for three days. It's July. It's already very hot getting up into the 90s with the tarmac. And Uh, then when you add into all of the people, temperatures are reaching over 100 degrees. (laughs) The only free water available is essentially an open faucet trench, right, by a highly unclean setup of porta-potties. Again, we'll get to that. And a few other places throughout the absolutely massive complex. And the lines to these were always too long, and eventually they all wound up getting busted. So you can gamble with the water, which already was noticed to have a strange tint to it from the get. Or you can have, but you, other, you're, you're buying. Other than that, you're going to have to accept you're buying water for the next okay. three days. You said that the, the water bottles were $7 in today's money, right? Yes. Let's say you're conservative and you choose to buy your water. And let's say you only drink three things of water a day. That's what, $21 a day? Yeah, and not enough water. Not where not nowhere enough near water. enough water. And then if you do that for all three days, that's that's at very least you're going to be sick because you don't have enough water because it's very hot. That's at least sixty three dollars that you're spending on water just that's for a, a a need a a thing yeah. that keeps you alive. And so this is unfortunate again because there is no shade. So everywhere, all at once, in the blazing sun, and oftentimes there's not a cloud in the sky. You have heat, sun bodies sweat it's everywhere and the only bits of shade are already starting to be coveted by groups crowding within them and i mean that like anything anywhere there was like a plywood like thing set up with like information on it there were people crammed as tight as they could behind it trying to catch the shade in the back like yeah and that starts happening quickly because people didn't know that and you know it's a festival like people are like coming up and like shirtless and in bikini tops and then before long all that shit comes off anyway and like people got really sunburned you know yeah. and there's you can't escape it unless you sit in your tent you know and that's even if you have a tent like it, it's just a nightmare and like that's something and like I do want to be clear like there are stories of people who had fun at this event but I want to talk about these things these complete just lack of care for bi like just biological needs, you know, that if you want to look into why this turned in the way that it did is if you treat people like animals, you're going to get animals, you know? And it's like, this is such a good lesson for that. And you realize you're getting hungry. So you wander over to the, it's called the vendor village and you see if maybe you can just get something small just to, just to get you by. And you're pretty much immediately gutted to see that a small bag of chips or a bag of peanuts is $4 or, again, about $7 <laughs> today, just like your bottle of water is. 
And you're already really beginning to feel the cuts start to add up. Uh And you miss your snacks that were pulled from your backpack and your waters that were thrown away for no reason. And you buy a bottle of water and you get a bag of chips and you pay the equivalent of about $14 today for it, maybe $13. And you're mad about it. But you're not going to let that ruin your day. You're going to push on. You're going to wander your way on over to the East Stage where you hear familiar notes of every morning as Sugar Ray is playing his early yeah. afternoon set. That would pick and, me up at least for 14 points of happiness. Right, you know. And as you're taking these sins and as you walk, you begin to notice perhaps a pattern that you at first tried to brush off, but you've seen enough glimpses of to start being concerned. So I am saying this as my character in the story who is a woman. Yeah. So there's MTV crews and other TV crews that are wandering around with cameras, really kind of pushing kids to act aggressive and crazy on camera. And I want everybody to take a moment and remember, and some of you might be a, a little bit too young, but to remember, this is Don't. the time of Girls Gone Wild. Oh, I, know and I knew you were going to say it. At this time... Like, American Pie was the number one comedy out in theaters. Like, this like chauvinistic, toxic yeah. shit was really, truly worse than it is now by, like, a, a huge margin. A huge it was, margin. It was more accepted to just be like, oh, just boys be boys. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. And, like, honestly, researching this topic actually did give me a little bit of, like, Okay, things actually have improved a good bit because I forgot about those. You would be, you could be watching like daytime TV and a Girls Gone Wild commercial would come on. Yeah. You know, like it was so, ing- and you'd be like, for me, I'd be like an eight year old little girl and being like, what, why is, yeah, why am it, why I having to feel okay? uncomfortable now with, because yeah. my parents are in the room? Like, what, what is happening with this? You know, and this was just that time. It was really, really fucking toxic. And so that's really going on here. And the, like, the frat guy energy is really being pushed mm-hmm. and it's being pushed hard. And okay. they, that activity and that behavior is getting the cameras, it's getting yeah. the attention. So before too long, Due to the heat and the young kind of wild and free vibe of this new Woodstock, like tops start coming off, you know? Sure. Like, but then, of course, so does the uninvited groping and sexual assault, which starts okay. happening immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Well, you shouldn't have taken your shirt off. No, and that was the, that was the attitude. And basically the God. security, the staff on their organization was told that if unless somebody is getting physically injured, look the other way. Unless someone <gasps> is getting hurt. Not a big deal. You know, like it's a festival. People are going to be wild. You're not, you know, like that. They set themselves up for complete chaos immediately. Disgusting. So nothing's being done about it. And they were called the, uh, like the, um, like the peace force, you know, and they were basically the security <laughs> force okay. were like a bunch of like normal, untrained, like civilians. A lot of them just like, young people who took the job because it actually paid pretty well. Like I have the salary or like the pay down later, but like had no experience and were told in their orientation, just like, "Mm, yeah, like unless like people are like fighting or something, like people are getting hurt, like look the other way. So that was how it began. And you start really seeing it. And there's a lot of footage from this event that makes this so abundantly clear. And it is so infuriating to watch like it 
I I had a hard time going to sleep after doing a lot of looking into this because it made my adrenaline go off. Yeah. Like it it really really did. Like this is some serious shit and this like I want to be clear. This was happening on the first this was starting immediately within hours. Like, you know, crowd surfing girls are getting their clothes ripped off um atop the crowd. They're getting held in place and assaulted. Like, I mean, this is day 1. And like, I mean, just crazy shit. Like the the toxicity toxicity was so bad. Like for instance, like Cheryl Crow played and uh she played on friday i believe and like again day one and mtv and like tv crews were still like putting all the wild behavior on camera so quickly it was becoming more and more apparent that like that was what was being looked for not discouraged and and this was also a time everybody wanted to be jackass that was it's like you gotta you really gotta have a you gotta have a snapshot of the context it's like this was a perfect storm in so many ways and so this was a quote from her. Like she said, this was, it was the worst show. It was the worst gig she ever did. And this was an interview for Rolling Stone magazine. Um, and I just thought it was, it just really, and again, I just want to be clear. This is Friday. She played, I think at like 5 PM on Friday, I think. So it's not even night. No. So here we go. No one could bring in any food or water, and the bottled water was super expensive. It bred rebellion. The porta potty got turned over, and the next thing I know, I'm playing bass, and there's feces being thrown right where I'm playing. You can imagine the vibe <sighs> right after us. The audience was frustrated and angry, and it was everything but Woodstock. It was by far the single worst gig I have ever been on. We got out of there as fast as we possibly could. Oh, I missed oh it. You God. can imagine the vibe before we went out, and insane clown posse was right after us. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, it's not funny, but okay, like, yeah, yeah. I get it. So that was day one, a few hours in, and that's at the lineup. So I I pulled a lineup, uh, and it seems that she played on Friday, but I also caught, saw a couple of discrepancies in that. But you see, uh, you're watching all of this, and you're maybe starting to get a little bit concerned, but you don't have an idea of how much worse it can get. And, but you know what? You've got bands you came to see. The Offspring is about to come on, and then fucking Corn okay. is coming okay. on. And if you miss Corn, you, you're never going to forgive yourself. You're a loser. Yeah. yeah. If you okay, you you move away from the feces, and you you just decide to wait. I get it. So if you're not off- being essayed in the process, yes, yeah. Um, and, and which we'll get into how. And there's again, the stories are very different. And that's why I would like to hear some. I would like to hear just some positive experiences from <laughs> women who went alone, you know, or like right. went just yeah, as yeah, groups yeah, of yeah. girls and didn't have like a guy to guard them because it was literally a matter of guarding. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, but it's, it's different. And then like, you know, I was on Reddit and I was reading threads and like every one of them that was like, felt totally safe. I had a great time. It was just like, yeah, I was a 20, 22 year old guy, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. buddy, you didn't even live the same three days. Like you don't even know what those three days were like. It'd be interesting to see the crossover and how many of those dudes that were like, I felt totally safe are the same dudes that made other people that feel That copped a feel when a girl was crowd yeah. surfing above. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. She's copping a feel. Yeah. yeah. Her, t- her tits were out. <laughs> they were right there. So <laughs> They looked like my mom's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
Okay, so, all right, the offspring comes out, you know, and, like, everybody's into it, right? Angsty shit, everybody's having a good time, they're getting in, everybody's hype. The mosh pits are really starting to swirl, and that becomes a thing for the weekend. And you're you're in you're just kind of watching this in amazement. Uh, in fact, the crowd size itself is something that you're having a hard time grasping. Uh, and as the crowd grows for Corn's performance, and this is Corn's first performance in like months because they've been working on their new album, and like people are serious about wanting to see Corn. Like it is palpable in the air how much people have been so it's you know like before the main act comes Mm -hmm. and people really start filtering in you know that's happening now and the just enormity of and rawness of the energy settles in and this crowd that you're now a part of and you're in the middle of because you got there you wanted to you watched the offspring you got there kind of early and you're now in the middle of a crowd that has, give or take, about a quarter of a million people in it. And bodies are packed so tight and so close that escape is pretty damn hard, if not impossible, unless you risk the crowd surfing, because some people would do that just to get out, but then you risk almost certain, certainly getting sexually assaulted. So yes. take your pick your poison, you know. Um, can you imagine, dude, can you imagine just living in existence, even if it's a slice of time where crowd surfing is one of the only ways that only these like one of the safest ways you can get. Yeah. Um, and I, I read a a personal account of a, a, a girl that did that. Um, she was like, I think she was only like 17 or 18. Um, and she kind of got caught out there when it started getting really violent. And she, like, asked some, some, you know, she asked to be lifted up and asked to, like, she, I, th- I don't know how she did it. She didn't clarify, but, like, they passed her backwards. She asked to be passed out of there um, and was able to get out. And she just, like, had all of her, she had, like, her backpack on her belly and, like, it was just hugging it as tight as she could and, like, wrapped around that until she got out of there. Um, but, yeah, super scary. And uh, and it becomes clear that when Corn takes the stage... I mean, the crowd is just like a bomb. Like, mosh pits open up at random, and they just swallow up people who want to and do not want to be in them. They open up out of nowhere. It became clear that you did not need to lose your feet um, because you might not come up again. And all around, there's more fighting, more groping, and all of this of being in the sweltering heat, of being in the middle of a crowd of 250,000 people in 100-degree weather when you've had no water, no shade, not really any actual real valuable food all day long. So, and oh, yeah, and let, me, I- let me mention, everyone around you is rolling deep. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess the drugs, Woodstock, it's, the yeah. drugs at this event were really intense. Um, not only do you have your festival drugs, you have your ex and things like that. This was also when meth was starting to really bust out on the casual oh, scene. Yeah. So, and of course, as the weekend goes on, the drugs got worse and worse and worse. But like, you've already, I mean, people like that's the vibe here right um and there's never an excuse like never an excuse for any of the shit going down but like hard drugs on an empty tummy in the hot sun certainly didn't make it work good you know yeah well when and uh, basically like a even it i'll get 
part, I'll get to the sanitation in a minute. Those failures were already known. And so, I mean, it's like, if you want to breed hedonism, here's how you fucking do it. And I, it, it just, it already is getting out of control um, and getting out of control really quickly. And so I, this is like really hard. This involves a full on R word assault. Um, but in this first night, at least one woman was not just raped, but gang raped in one of the mosh pits at this concert. And that's just the only one truly known of. And it was seen actually by like press. Um, and that's just the only one reported. I'm sure, I mean, like the overall general sexual assaults are countless, countless that happened in that pit that night because there's countless footage just showing it being casually done again just like the people who are just trying to be there and are just getting manhandled like it's just so scary dude like i've been in mosh pits i've been to con i've never seen treatment like this it this it is so scary i mean just the the feeling of not being able to get away is i that's what makes this scarier to me than anything and so yeah it's like bedlam and when the set ended like the crowd energy was just like wild and thick and who was next but bush okay and really amazingly bush pulls this off like it, it, their their placement in the lineup both seems maybe smartly done and to like to cool down the energy but it also seems like it was stupidly done and a lack of awareness and they just put them as the the closing act, you know, um, because it's definitely a different vibe. That was kind of one of the girls bands, you know, like quotation marks. And sure. uh, either way, the front man came out and he was he was very pretty, you know, and he came out and started singing this, you know, really peace and lovey song. And immediately it was like, really the the tone shifted and it was able to simmer down things a a good bit. And that that ended the music. Like Jasper from Twilight. Really, he did pull a Jasper and at least soothe the crowd a little bit. But that was the end of the music on the stages in day one. And now you got to get back to your tent for the night. And so already it's become clear even after the first few hours of being here, that many women are very much on edge and very uncomfortable with leaving their tents alone, or even just groups of girls without a, a literal like goddamn chaperone. So yeah, the shower stalls, I say in quotation, are really just like these black trash bag tarp stalls in which there was no ceiling. Uh, and uh, I saw some reports saying that like eventually like People will, like, cut holes in them to, like, look in, especially in the, the women women's ones. Um, <sighs> and helicopters were flying above for MTV, like, above the shower stalls that people were showering in. And um, the line for these showers was also forever long, as there were not near enough. They were makeshift as they were. And not to mention, there's a quarter of a million people that just spent all day in no shade in 100-degree weather. And I assure you, not enough water and all likely still rolling. And so it is on this and Friday night. How, how many showers did you say I, I don't know. I don't know the number of showers, but it is not enough. That not is enough. over and over said okay. like it was a joke. Um it is on this first Friday night that the infrastructure has not only begun to fail, but is already in full catastrophic failure. And the cracks that come from this really I, how could start it get worse? the show. 
How could it even get worse? So let's talk about, you know, we've we've talked a little bit about the security, uh, the Peace Patrol, right? Um, uh. Yeah. And most of which, like, had no experience at all and were also kids. And they were getting paid $12 an hour, which was pretty damn good for the time. But they were doing really, like... And they didn't know that they were going to be having to do this, but essentially they were required by the time this was all over to do immensely complicated work that would be asked of them because the organizers sent them into a war zone and they were going to have to sleep on site. They were going to have to do 14 hour shifts. They were sleeping in barracks and many of the guards complained of getting looted. So they would hire guards to guard the guard stuff. Like it was terrible. And so And they all wore these yellow little Peace Patrol shirts. And essentially, if they took that yellow Peace Patrol shirt off, they were just another festival goer. And they were all, and they also got to like see the show pretty much for free. So it was like, yeah, sure, I'll be a Peace Squad person and get there and take my shirt off and do fun. Yeah. You know? So they were all, again, so they were kind of told to ignore a lot during orientation. And so let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the bathrooms. Let's not. <laughs> we, we have to talk about the bathrooms. Let me just infer. Okay. I mean, silently, and then we can move on and never okay, talk Okay, I it. thought you were going to actually <laughs> ask me something. No, so, no, no. The bathrooms by Friday afternoon were already a disaster. So due to cheaping out, the organizers and the, like, they, they cheaped out on everything important. They cheaped out on sewage. They cheaped out on infrastructure they cheaped out on water they cheaped out on everything just to make this as much of a price gouging event as they possibly could and very quickly the grounds descended into beyond filth so by friday night the porta johns and they were they were arranged in such a stupid way that they could not be properly emptied they couldn't be cleaned and so by friday night and there were not enough by the way, nowhere near enough for a quarter of a million fucking people. That's so many people. And by Friday night, the Johns were full to the brim. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And people by this point were shitting outside of the Port of Johns. Oh, that's um, what I thought was going to happen. And people were pissing in this giant big mud piss river. Um, mind you, this is all right by the free water. That people are supposed to breathe, to drink and brush their teeth with and wash their hands in leaving the porta johns. So the same water that you're supposed to fucking wash your hands in after you went to shit outside, raw dogging it, you're supposed to drink also and brush your teeth in. That was their solution. That was the free water. And they were so proud of this free water. Like, there's multiple recordings of them, like, everybody, like, between acts being like, everybody, we've got water stations and all over the place. Come drink your water. It's all there for And it's just like, you fucking assholes. Like, oh, my God. So, at well, the same, go ahead. I, I was, no, I'm just, I'm just mind blown. But also, is that why your uh, squad cast name today is Rivers of Piss and Shit? It is. Yes. Great. And so the showers were flooded and essentially ruined with some even holding a foot of water and everything is muddy and everything's contaminated. This is the end of day one. This is the end of all time. Yeah. It's pretty rough, bro. Um, And let's get to day two. But before we can get to day two, 
let's talk about the trash. So not only... (laughs) I love how, like every other sentence, you're like, let's talk about the bathrooms. Let's talk about the trash. Let's talk about the trash because trash is very important. Mm -hmm. So, and it's very important from a psychological standpoint. And another thing I think that absolutely fueled the rage and hedonism that this truly descended into. And I'm sorry I'm taking so long, but like, dude, this is just the wildest story and I can't get over it. So... Uh, sanitation, not only were they cheaped out on in the first place, there were hardly any trash cans at all on the premises, so far and few between, um, and not really any good proper ways to dispose of garbage, the garbage they all made you buy bit by bit, and the sanitation workers appeared to quit by day two. So on <laughs> Saturday morning, you unzip your tent flap and you see something you don't quite believe. On the ground in the daylight, there's a layer of garbage on what appears to be every square inch of concrete. And as the wind blows, it creates this hurricane swirl of trash that pelts people as they're trudging through the trash (laughs) to get to the stages that they want to see. It's everywhere. Plastic water bottles, pizza boxes. Some people are sleeping on pizza boxes, passed out because there's nowhere else for them to go. All of the mountains of trash that result in a quarter of a million people forced to buy everything for their basic needs and for there being no proper disposal management for the event. And you're also exhausted. It's already warm. There was a rave that was... You're you're trapped here. You're trapped. And there was a rave going on at the hangar. So there's a big airport hangar. Because, again, remind you, you're at a military base. And Mm. until 5 And that's the only place for shade, I'm sure. Oh, Yeah. So until 5 a.m., this rave was going on, and the turnout was fucking huge. And while information on the rave part of this of this festival is, like, a bit more scarce, it seems it was pretty fucking intense. I mean, lots of public sex, whether it have been consensual or not. Um, a bunch of really dehydrated, really strung out people um, and in really filthy conditions. Uh, so... Who knows what went on there? Um, And for some, this was a rough night spent in terror, huddling in tents, just hoping to not be noticed by any of the roving predators and thieves out there in the night. Because I want to remind you, there's no real security here. There's no cell phones. There's no cell phones. Uh, There were message boards at this time, and some people were commenting on those just to at least, even if they lost a friend, because if you lost your friend, good luck fucking finding them again here. Like, it's so easy to just like, you got to put yourself back here to really get why it's so frightening. And then you have to walk around alone. While you're getting pelted with trash from the wind. <laughs> that just seems like such an insult to injury. It, well, it is. It's a, that's a psychological reminder of how these organizers see you. Like, that's what you are, you stupid fucking kids. You're just, yeah. all, you're just blowing your money here because you're stupid idiot kids. This is what we think of you. You're trash. And so... Lay in the, lay in the garbage. You emerge from your tent out into the second day, and immediately you see that people are tired. They are sunburned. And many are clearly still very immensely fucked up and have been for some time. There's mm. a lot of drugs here. We cannot understate that. And not just like weed. I mean like not, big not boy like drugs. Just the cool kinds. Yeah. yeah. You go and buy an overpriced pizza for breakfast. I uh I found 
I found this quote, and this is like, again, and this is really contributing to the overall mood. Because again, there's multiple camps here. There's the predators who are just there to be vile. And then there's other people who came for a good time that are very quickly getting soured and easily seeing the appeal of a mob mentality by each passing minute. And so this is the second camp. So you go to buy an overpriced pizza for breakfast. And at the, you know, because you're like, it's probably the biggest thing. Maybe I can just eat that for the whole day or something. It's a 12-inch personal pizza, right? Well, so here's the quote. And this was from Reddit. I had to budget carefully, but still ran out of cash and substances Sunday morning and pretty much all the way wore out. I remember the $4 water and paid $11 for this small pizza after Metallica finished Saturday night that I will never, ever forget. It was seriously like a big saltine cracker with tomato soup and sawdust on it. Fucking terrible. Uh, Okay. And that was by our Killadrilla 480. And, um... But like, I mean, every second, I mean, it's like, of course. And I like, I want to say that again, there were people who were like, but I saw the best bands of my life. You know, there were people having a good time, but at the same time, you're just getting shit kicked in the dick all the time, subconsciously and not. And, and it's worse for some people than others. I'm sure depending on your, I mean, like if you're there and you've got money to burn, you got water and food, you know? Oh yeah. And that's the thing, especially if you thought you were able to go and prepare it a little bit and then they just shit mm-hmm. all over that. And also, also pretty much almost right out of the gate, at least by Saturday, the ATM started to quit working. So you couldn't even get money out. So too bad you need fucking water. You might not even be able to get cash out because there weren't things like Square or Stripe or no. anything like that. You were no. fucking- I'm, I'm- I'm walking to the Best Western. Goodbye. Yeah, I'm out of here. And that's like, I was talking to Hunter about this because like we did both watch that documentary and I was like, who are these people, Hunter? Like, like, why are they still there? Like the ones that could leave? I was like, how are you not shit terrified? I don't understand. So there's, there's a certain amount of, uh, there's a certain amount of that that I think comes along with just being young and just. I think so. You do feel a little bit more immortal. Um, yeah, you and care a lot less about about stuff that your standards are lower. Care about yeah, uh, and also and so is your work. I don't know. Well, yeah, apparently. But also think about what if these were your absolute favorite bands? I, oh, I, I know. still don't know. That's what makes it so sad. I mean, it's like they really took advantage of this whole situation and. So also, let's just add, let's fold in the extra dollop of everybody is starting to get, not everybody, but it's starting, you're starting to hear and starting to perhaps notice that people are getting sick. Um, Uh Uh-huh. And it's seemingly the word is spreading to not drink the water. Um, because the water shit in the water. The water is making people sick. Uh, and this could have been picked up from any of the multiple outdoor shit piles or rivers of piss. Uh, the water uh, is now spewing uncontrollably out of some of these faucets, some of which were broken by people out of frustration due to the conditions. And now the water is flooding the shit river and the piss river, and that's starting to flood into the campground to where there's some tents that are just sitting in shitty piss river water, and it's great. And so. Those are the conditions in the camp area, some of which people paid an extra $100 to camp in when it was like you bought your ticket. It was like premium camping pass. And then they got there. They were like, oh, we don't know what the fuck that is. Just good luck. Go pick a spot. There were no assigned spots. You just had to go fucking fight for somewhere. 
And you pay for a premium spot and you get there and they're like, you get the, in that you get the pile middle of finger. Yeah. yeah. So all of this porta potty area is just mixing into one pool. And it there's like, dude, and there's like famous, famous footage and videos of people like rolling around in this like shit mud water, dude. Like people were really starting to lose it. Um, and rolling around in the it's shit like water. seriously, like for fun, like it's a slip and slide. Um, so, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna leave this planet, yeah. Um, so this was what all you have to do is look at this and just kind of gauge your worth here, mm. you know. Mm. You're being asked to hemorrhage money, mm-hmm. to bake in the heat. You weren't even given the basic decency of shade or water, uh, adequate waste disposal in both the biological and the physical trash need. All of your Maslow's base tiers are completely ignored. You get nothing. Um, and imagine people are starting to just get a little upset about that. Um, a little disen, just dis- disenfranchised about that, disenchanted about it. You think and some in, people are upset. People are starting to get, if you can believe it, upset. Wow. And it's already kind of starting to feel and look like a war zone. Like, dude, I cannot express to you what the garbage looked like at this event. It looks Is it like up to the shins. It's incredible, dude. It's incredible. I can't believe it. And. TV crews are still running around pushing people to be wilder and wilder. And they were putting a pay-per-view special together for this. And like, it was exactly what you think because it was a pay-per-view special. And there was just a lot of just shit going on that they were encouraging. The conditions were only worsening. The smell was apparently ungodly. And as the temperatures rise, they get even hotter today on Saturday than they were yesterday on Friday. Cool. So you're a kid. And you were promised this Woodstock event and this music-based generational experience, but instead you're getting price gouged to death. You clearly aren't being cared for at all, considering the facilities they gave you and the overall tone that's being encouraged is this wild, drug-fueled, frat guy, rapist attitude. That's where you are. And this is only increasing the mob mentality. And all this time, 200 people an hour, give or take, were having to be treated in the medic tents, who were having to exhaust almost all of their medical supplies to treat all of the people who had heat exhaustion, drug overdoses, and things like that. This was doubled 200 an hour. an hour? Yeah. Whoa. And this was doubled during the Limp Biscuit show, which is legendary. So... I um don't know if this is true or not or if if this is right I but this seems this was a lineup that I found and it seemed to kind of line up with what I saw. So this is Saturday's main stage lineup. You ready? So at 12, the Tragically Hip was supposed to go on for a 60-minute set. And then at 1.15, Kid Rock for a 60-minute set. And during his set, he had everybody throw all of their plastic bottles. I'm pretty sure it was Kid Rock on the stage. Like, it was just an absolute mess. Um, at 2.30, Wycliffe Jean. At 3.30, Counting Crows. Sha-la-la-la-la-la. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At uh-huh. 4.45, the Dave Matthews Band was supposed to come on. Crash! Crash! And um, at 6.30, fucking Alanis Morissette bringing it on for a 75-minute set. 
And so here we go, though. Eight o'clock, 8.05, actually. Lent Biscuit is supposed to come on and play a 60-minute set. And guess who follows Lent Biscuit at 9.25 p.m.? Rage Against the Fucking Machine for a 90-minute set. And guess who follows them at 11.15 at night? Metallica. again? Metallica? <laughs> for a 90-minute set. So. Okay. On the second day, security people were starting to quit. And some were starting to even be assaulted and have their shirts pulled off or grabbed at. Um, and really, when you were away from the stage, there was no security anymore. It was lawless out there. And there was like one guy in one of the documentaries I watched who was just like, oh, yeah, like I, I had two shirts. And one guy was like, can you get backstage with that? And you couldn't. And he was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, I'll give you like, what do you want for it? He's like 400 bucks. And a guy bought it and he just went and put a second shirt on, you know. But then that person was walking around and like, a peace patrol shirt, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And so the peace wall, which was the longest mural in the world before it was violently dismantled, uh, was okay. the big entry gate when you came in, it seems. And, and by this point, it was already starting to be revely, heavily ripped apart. Uh, some uh, of wrong. the boards... Some of the boards were coming down for shade. Some were coming down just to lay a dry path near the shit swamp so people could go shit out in the open and not get their ankles deep in shit because there was no public facilities and it was open trance shitting just like back in the Middle Ages. Listen here, as soon as anything, anything starts uh, advertising open trench shitting, I'm out. I I don't Generally a good rule. I don't care if I don't get to see Metallica. I will go see them with the money I saved on snacks. Yeah, when I start seeing it become the norm to trench shit, I'm catching that yellow bus back to Rome, New York. I'm out of here. Um, So that is if I didn't immediately leave after that first night of witnessing stuff going down in that mosh pit. Right. And uh, and so I just want to make that clear. It is so bad. The condition you're so uncared for as a festival goer that if you want to keep your feet clean from shit because of the backed up swamp facilities, you're having to rip Sick. down part of the wooden gate to create a dry platform in which to shit publicly. That's the conditions. So this is a tone. And that's the tone before. I mean, that's that's bad enough. But fold in the fact people have now this is Saturday, Saturday night. People have baked in the sun all day for the second day, drank an incredible amount of alcohol. At first, they started limiting just two drink ticket purchases at a time. But then when the vendor crowd, who was only, they were getting a lot of flack for like only being able to sell two tickets at a time and were just constantly crowded by more people. Because again, two point, you know, two and a half, 250,000 people. They started just being like, fine, we'll just give you as many drink tickets as you want. And they were just selling, you know, lots of them. So. People are super fucking drunk, super fucking high. You've been treated like cattle in a feedlot for two days. You've been Christ, you've been price gouged. You've been your wild, your wild behavior has been rewarded with TV cameras. You just keep loving to show all of the really nasty shit that you shouldn't be doing to other people. And you cannot escape the sun. And people are bargaining for drugs, food, and other things just to have a moment of relief in the shade. People are trading all kinds of things for a shady spot. It was a serious commodity. And these conditions are what people were reduced to. So let's fast forward to 8 p.m. on Saturday night, when all of these angry, disenchanted fans get the incredible lineup of Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine, and Metallica. 
And at this time, all three of those bands were beyond huge, big, fucking giant. And Limp Bizkit was really resonating with this crowd. Like a lot of them came to see them specifically. And at this time, and it was like, you know, they just, they felt, you know, like they were one of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This massive crowd, I remind you, again, 250 million people. Um, (laughs) And this crowd- 250 million? Oh, sorry. A quarter of a million people, sorry. (laughs) I wrote 250,000 million. Um, Jesus. uh, And all of these people, all of those people are very well aware at this point of how the organizers feel about them. Um, And so they're about to receive a tasty, delicious, and justified new metal message of fuck this, let's do something. And so something else, too, that really fanned the flames that made it even worse is that these piece of shit organizers, one of them who even was present for the original Woodstock... Um, it was like one of the organizers for that too. Uh, they did these press conferences at the beginning of like Saturday and at the beginning of, and at the beginning and end of every day of this festival. And they denied everything. Like even though well, the press like, who had it's been going great. Yeah, exactly. And like, even though the press who had been walking around seeing everything were like, what are you going to do about the open sewage that is going to be a dysentery outbreak? And they're like, it's fine. You try it then. It's hard to run a festival. Like that was literally what they were doing. <laughs> like seriously a joke. <laughs> okay. And so basically you, you have you try it you have lent biscuit come out you know and again i want to be clear like it seems that the the acts were not super privy to what was going on here you know they didn't know they were being treated great they got all you know the they had all of the like commodities they could want so they went to play a standard ass show and of course they did notice like the crowd was wilder maybe than normal but like I, you know, like he, so this is what he was quoted saying. So he was performing, you know, and he said at this moment, like, you know, the frontman of Limp Bizkit uh, was said, take time to reach deep down inside, take all of that negative energy and let that shit out of your fucking system, which isn't unusual. You'd hear that at any, honestly, it's like kind of nice if you just read it out of like, out of metal concert voice. It's just good advice, really. Um, <laughs> it's a guided meditation. You'd hear that, at, but like you'd hear, and it's, you know, it's really like, take all the negative energy and let that shit out of your fucking system. But like, it's not unusual. Yeah. It's not yeah. a big deal. And great. You know, impersonation, it's, by the way. Thank you. And it, what but bothers put me. Into that context. Yeah, and that statement did ignite the crowd. Of course it did. But what bothers me is that the organizers and a lot of the media are like, how dare they have said that? How dare they have done that? And it's like, you mean, did their jobs? Like, performed the act that they do all the time? They're Limp biscuit. What did you expect? Them to come out and be fucking Enya? Like, I don't understand this. And so it's just ridiculous. So anyway. <laughs> what um, if Enya did just walk out? Who can say sail away? Oh my god! So I don't know. It's just that is so stupid to say when it's it's not them. It's the vibe that was created that made the crowd explode. It was telling the security to look away. It was having the press, having MTV, all these cameras there to film nasty shit and encourage it for pay-per-view so people would try to be outlandish and gross to be seen on TV. It was gouging everybody. 
It was the heat. It was not taking care of people. It's all the organizers. And so what happened during this set was people beating the fuck out of each other, people moshing, then raiding the sound tower, ripping parts of plywood off of parts of the stage, crowd surfing on them with eventually the frontman of Limp Bizkit crowd surfing on one of these card or uh, plywood pieces. Tons of, yeah. tons of sexual assaults. Um, uh-huh. and, and that part is like, if I'm, if I'm, oh man, if I'm Fred Durst, um, which I thought was the name of a serial killer, but I guess it's not. <laughs> but if I'm him, I'm probably uh-huh. not surfing on that because that does seem like it's going to encourage some shit, you know, but also I, I'm going to, I got to stay neutral here. And like, I can't imagine the electricity of being the, like the, orchestra the conductor of 220,000 hearts like so I can't really you know I can't just be completely like you should have known better because he's he's a human too you know Um, well I mean and also it's very possible you don't see that shit you don't because like yeah you look out you just see a crowd and you know what well he was saying like why he wasn't saying everybody be nice to each other he still he I think he said repeatedly if somebody falls, pick them back up, like, like, to, right. you know, take care of each other, like, at least. So he did say things like that. But it's like, he's got a part to play, you know? Sure. Like, it is what it is. So at this time, absolute fucking madness. Kids go into the medical tent and droves. A lot of the paramedics are wanting to quit. Um, and, you know, they're com- these kids are coming in injuries, uh, split open heads. Um God. Uh, you know, things like rolled joints, heat exhaustion, drug issues. Some kids were telling paramedics to please tell someone to stop the show. It's dangerous out there. And so who better to follow all this than Rage Against the Machine? Uh, who? Yes. I mean, like, they basically, if Rage Against the Machine wanted to write a tongue-in-cheek piece about what, they would have written it about this event. I mean, it's like, as the organizers, it's like, you have created something that Rage Against the Machine would have said, like, this is fucked up about. Like, I just can't even, it's so tone deaf. It's so stupid. They didn't even understand. And like, there was, in one of the documentaries, there was a, uh, and it's the one on Netflix, I think it's called Trainwreck, uh, Woodstock 99, which was engaging as hell. They really, in my opinion, just skirted right over all the sexual assault, which is like a huge part of the story. It got like four minutes at the end. And I was like, that's terrible. But it did tell a very enthralling story. So it's like, mm, there were some issues there. Um, but uh, there was a guy in there who was like, he was on one of the staff teams when this was all getting created and was like, tried to speak up. He was like 20 something in the room full of all of the other people who were like putting the lineup together. And he was like, I think y'all really need to think about the order and the times in which y'all are putting these acts. And they pretty much told him like, you shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. You yeah. know, and so it's just like, yeah. okay. So... You know, of course, the wildness continued for rage. And then there was Metallica after that, where someone actually died. Uh, Someone died in the pit during this show, a 24-year-old young man um, uh, who actually, like, left a journal of the event behind. Like, he kept little, like, note journals, like, uh, throughout the day. And it's very sad. Like, his last thing was like, all right, I'm going into the pit. And that was, like, his last (gasps) entry. It's very sad. Um, so now it's nighttime. It's Saturday night. The second day is closed on the stages and it, it's the campground and say, let's, let's take a look at the campground. This is a campground full of fucked up, tired, hungry, thirsty, pretty much kind of at this point, maybe a little desperate 20 somethings and teenagers that are getting sick some and are all scattered in a field, a field of shin deep garbage. Most of them haven't cleaned themselves, 
And some people are starting to, again, succumb to the water issues. Uh, and if they didn't get the crazy vomiting and diarrhea, they started getting hit by the lethargy. Um, yeah. So uh, here, this was a quote from a a like a personal blog. It was on uh, some Kerrang.com. And it was a quote. But with the oppressive heat, a scarcity of free drinking water and insane prices for food and beverages slowly chipping away at our pockets and patients, the vibe had taken a darker turn by Saturday. Overheard conversations began veering to the negative. More sinister drugs had surfaced. The mosh pits had become more violent. Overflowing loos only exacerbated the problems exponentially. The steaming portable toilets were so putrid. Uh. Each hole in the ground quite literally piled waist high with human feces. The proper hygiene was simply impossible. I didn't shit for three days. Well, good. If you could hold it, dude, hold it. But and so, some people can't do that. No. And so the smell, especially if you've got dysentery. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that thing. And so the smell is inescapable. You can never forget there's a giant shit pond and a piss river. Uh, there's hundreds of porta johns that are literally overflowing and have been since day one. Um, many of which are surrounded in mud from the leaking faucets right there between. And it's just this great bacteria factory. And this is spread to the campground. And now tents still are in sewage water. And that's only continuing to grow. So those that didn't feel safe, which was many, again, were in their tents for the night. Um, unfortunately, it just seems from personal reports that did not save everybody. And of course, there were predators that were invading tents and taking advantage of people. Uh, people were doing the best they could to not get separated because, mind you, there's no cell phones anymore. And this was a very, again, just like predatory vibe from the scratch. Uh, those who didn't want to stop went over to the, rang hanger, the rave hangar where Fatboy Slim was booked to play the rave there uh, on Saturday night. So I was a little confused on this. The documentary kind of made it seem like they played on Sunday, but unless I'm misunderstood, but it seems like they played the rave specifically, not the main stage. Um, and this is fucked up. And I just want to preface this. This is fucked up. So at one point during the middle of this crazy ass show, they have to stop the show because some people had hijacked like a van and were slowly driving it into this tight, tight crowd of tens of thousands of people. And who... It, well, what? so, you know, and they couldn't really see it. First, it just looked like lights because there's a, it's a rave. There's lasers and shit. It's just crazy, you know? And so and people are dancing on top of this thing at first because uh, Fat Boy Slim was quoted as saying he thought it was a portable dance floor from what he could tell back there from his like DJ booth. And um, so eventually, like, they they have to they stop the show because they're like, you can't, we've got to get this van out of here. And, like, people are yelling at Fatboy Slim, and he's like, it's not my fault. And so this is super fucking sick. And so this van that people had been dancing all over or on top of and had been driving, right, surrounded by people, they open it up. Not only is the driver completely glazed, just gone, there's a young girl getting sexually assaulted in the back, full on. And it's just happening with people dancing on top of the van, people dancing around the van, right there. And so it's like, okay, that that's and of course they kept it hush hush. Nobody fucking knew mm. a thing, you know. Um, and so let's get to Sunday. Let's get to the day it all goes to hell. And again, I'm sorry this is so long, dude, but I just can't get over this. Like I I just had to tell, I wanted to tell it in full as best as I could. So it starts nice enough. You know what? A lot of people wake up or come to to the sound of Willie Nelson 
singing Amazing Grace, which is like the most singular Woodstock moment of the whole festival. And, I, and the last thing I expected to come out of your mouth just now. I know. So there's a whole day of music that passes. And again, things are just getting steadily more and more a little, you know, just wild. People are even thirstier. People are even more hot. People are even more sunburned and even more pushed to their fucking limits. Um, but still, the day crowd was more chill always than the night crowd to where it was like, I even heard that some people were like, it was almost like there was like a roll switch, like a, a shift change to where it was like at night, the day people went and hid. And then the night people came out. It was like they were totally different. Um, Yikes. But there was a lot of excitement during this people. night. I know. There was a lot. Everybody was, it was, it was exciting because not only was the headliner, the Red Hot Chili Peppers this night, which was badass enough. The rumor was that there was going to be like a big surprise following their set, like a surprise artist that would just blow everybody's mind, but they were keeping it under wraps. And so that was okay. that was like spreading like wildfire. And everybody was like, all right, you know what? Maybe all of this fucking bullshit has been worth it. You know, and that's something to to hang around for. And so people do, they stay to see it. And well, not a lot. People really, by Sunday morning, people started clearing out of there. And by Sunday afternoon, they really were just because the conditions were proving too terrible. People got tired of it. They were just pushed beyond what they could take. And, and that was most people's positive experiences that I read. Like a lot of the people that were like, yeah, we saw great music and whatnot, but we left, we left Sunday morning because we were just so filthy and we were starting to get sick and we're just, we couldn't take it anymore. You know, I just, I, I couldn't stay the extra day. I got a, got the dysentery. Exactly. Yeah. Due to a public health violation. Um, so this rumor kept people going and here we are. It's Sunday night. People haven't shit for days or they've done nothing but shit themselves for days. People have been strung out. They've been dehydrated. They've been poorly fed. They've been hemorrhaging money for days. All of this time, they've been baking in the sun, and shade is still a precious commodity. ATMs have stopped working in multiple places, and the infrastructure has only worsened. To make it even worse, on this last day, there were only a handful of vendors left, so the price gouging was more intense as it normally was, with some saying a bottle of water was reported at $12 or $20 today. So, out comes the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And some problems start immediately. So while I didn't see this in the documentary films, I read this in a personal report that a lot of the anger in this moment also came from the fact that one of the sound towers was not functioning right. So a large section of the crowd wasn't even like able to hear the band, which made them fucking pissed. So you're, it's essentially truly just a prison at that point. Yeah. And so, I mean, people, again, were starting to climb the sound towers. Uh, there was a sound booth that um, wound up, like, putting a little poster board out. Because so, there's, like, 12 people in there surrounded in a sea of over, you know, like, 150, 200,000 people. And they put a poster board outside that was just, like, called it the Alamo because that's how they felt, you know. And eventually they wound up having to get evacuated because people started scaling the tower when they were in it. Um so really, things are starting to fall apart here. And um, I, it was just wild. Like, Flea was full-on naked, full-on dick out, totally nude. Only thing covering him was his base. Like, full-on One, floppy dick, okay. all out, you know. Wonderful. Shit, shit was wild. Um, and eventually, they, they like, kind of stopped. Maybe, 
maybe that's the maybe that's the rhetoric that the bands are getting because I feel like a lot of these bands now I'm not saying all bands would do this but I think a lot of these bands would like speak to this if they truly knew like I have to think that some of these would say something but maybe what they're getting is this, they're like oh it's just wild and crazy get naked on stage like maybe that's what they're being fed well and Flea is also famously well I no, I mean he sure. does what he wants, but like <laughs> sure, but like it just makes me think about like what what story they're getting. Well, and this was one that kind of so there was like two separate sides to it, and I wanted to look into this because I found it a little surprising myself. So at this time, it was like it seems like before the encore. Um, so okay, first of all, I I need to explain something first here. One of the dumbest decisions. If you think that any of the decisions that were made thus far were the dumbest, you're dead wrong. Because the dumbest decision of all, and this was one that went against all of like the the head of security and the head of people who actually were trying to do their jobs. This was an organizer tactic. They did this to be fucking chummy and make a scene. They thought, you know what we should do right now with this crowd after these three days and what we've done to them. Let's pass out 150,000 candles and have a candlelight vigil. <laughs> for and what? The person that died? No, for uh, gun violence. They wanted to do like this weird shoehorned thing for gun violence, okay. like right after the Red Hot Chili Peppers show. Okay? okay. And mind you, also people were thinking there was going to be something fun after the Red Hot Chili Peppers show. Oh, and oh, oh, so this is the thing that they were... Seemingly, seemingly so, right? And so people are already like, well, this kind of fucking blows. And so at this time, Red Hot Chili Peppers are in, like, they haven't, they're going to, they have, you don't know this yet as a crowd goer, but they're going to come out and do an encore. And the mayor of Rome, New York, which was where this was taking place, the mayor was like weirdly there the whole time and trying to do like the hype press conference stuff. Cause like this was supposed to turn that town around. This was supposed to like fix Rome and fix their money problems. And so the mayor, talks to Anthony of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and says, hey, you got to tell these people something to fix this and like tries to make it his responsibility. And and so his response is like something along the lines of like, they're not going to listen to what I have to say anyway. Like what? You know, and which part of me wonders, like I like I try to imagine this mob, you know, and if like these are bands that are that are telling you, fuck the man, fuck the system, like. And it would almost be worse if one of them came out and was like, all right, guys. Yeah. Need, you know, I think it would almost be – it's a hard path. You know, it's a tricky balance. And so anyway, these candles are immediately start getting used to light fires. Like immediately. <laughs> and these – Well, yeah. These fires start eventually growing to 30, 40-foot infernos. Big fires. And so as this was happening, and so a documentary that I watched, it was the Netflix one, it made it seem like they told, they talked to Anthony and were like, hey, do something to quell this. And he says, I can't, they aren't going to listen to me. And so then they come out for their encore and play the song Fire by Jimi Hendrix, which Great. I was like, whoa, that maybe wasn't the best call, you know? And I was kind of a little was, bit like... Were they trying to be funny? I don't know. I was a little bothered by it. But anyway, apparently in um, his book, uh, in like uh, his biography, uh, Anthony's biography, um, he wrote that like apparently backstage, I think it was Jimi Hendrix's sister. She was there and she approached the group and asked them like if they would do a tribute for Jimmy since like he kind of slipped through the cracks, like he'd not really been recognized much. Um, and like the guys hadn't really played a Hendrix song in a while. And like 
they just kind of settled on fire and like in 10 minutes kind of hastily hammered it out real quick. Like, all right, we'll play it, you know, like we'll play it like this. <laughs> and Anthony reported, he was like, yeah, we saw some fires, but like we'd played festivals with fires before. So like, you know, they just like pressed on and did it. And, and so it's like, after that show, you know, they left, they got out of Dodge, uh, went back to the hotel. And then according to them, like the next morning, woke to see they were a big ass part of that story. Um, so I do like to take that into consideration because I was like kind of disappointed, uh-huh. like, man, that sucks. Like that did kind of not help things. But yeah. considering the communication just seemed like garbage, um, yeah. it is very possible all of that could have happened. And it was just a big misunderstanding coincidence. Um, but, uh, it, um, really did not help things. And so what made it worse, right? Is so the, the Red Hot Chili Pepper cons, uh, encore ends. And remember, there was something coming, right? And uh, everybody was oh, waiting. So it on wasn't it. just the the lame candlelight. Well, okay. people were hoping. You know, they were like, "All right, oh. we're gonna this is like, all right, badass encore." You know, we're lighting fires, shit's lit. You know, yeah, we're trying to get the fire department in to put the fires out, and like that's not really going that well. And uh, so basically, there there's there's a bullshit. There's a bullshit surprise. And essentially, they throw up like this lazily put together video of Hendrix playing his guitar at Woodstock and then tell everybody, all right, we're done. It. Thanks. <laughs> and with that, all hell broke loose. The mob truly <laughs> fucking broke. The speaker towers, like the big, big, big speaker towers, like people started scaling them. They brought them to the ground with people still clinging on them. They pulled them into the flames. Anything that could be torn apart and burned was. Any security that was left hurried uh, into like one of the main admin buildings. And some people in that building took it upon themselves to barricade the doors from the inside. They Um, just said bye. Yeah. Well, I mean... it. When, there were 9,000 hired, like 9,000 employees in total versus a quarter of a million. Good mm-hmm. fucking luck, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, press and uh, bands were pulled immediately. Many press people said they later completely feared for their lives uh, in getting evacuated out of there. Um, some of the staff knew that the vendor court the vendor village was a sitting duck and they knew that some of those stalls had tens of thousands of dollars in cash in them. So some of the staff members hurried to the vendor village uh, to outpace the mob and they like just did what they could. They were like, draw the tarps down, turn off the lights. Right. And so at this time, and what I think is truly the scariest part of this whole story, like this made my blood run cold when I was watching this at the time. So they're at the vendor village and they've tried to lock it down in the distance and getting louder and getting louder quickly because they're running. They hear hundreds of voices in rising volume doing the rage against the machine. Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. And they're repeating it over and over and over as they are running and looting and like a tsunami, they clash oh into the vendor village, god. and it's looted within 15 minutes. I mean, just oh my god! Chaos. Fires are everywhere and growing in number with each second. So there was this row of semi trailers on the grounds that had like merch and supplies, including seemingly tanks of gas. And uh, at this time, these trailers had all been set ablaze, and it was a line of like 15 or 12 uh, semi-trailers. And in true apocalyptic vibe fashion, soon, these bone-rumbling, full-on explosions now began to permeate the grounds as fires exploded the big gas tanks in these 
semi-trailers. I mean, it's it's a, Mad it's, Max. It's a war zone. No, it is Mad Max. And at one point, there was a reporter uh, that like charged into it, like a like a real indie Ooh. reporter that like really charged into it. And there was footage of this kind of like wild-eyed young guy and his friend. And I mean, he he nailed it exactly. He said it's like Lord of the Flies. And it is. It's exactly like Lord of the Flies. It, it Lord of the Flies is the story. This is how it happens. And yeah. uh, it was like the, the animal came out. And I, I read a person, this was a Reddit story. And uh, I meant to actually like copy and paste it and read it directly. And I like my phone lost it. Like I my phone crashed and I could never find it again because it's Reddit. And so, but it was a personal story about a girl um her her friend went and was literally hunted by a group of guys. Like Wonderful. she was chased for a long time and they just kept chasing her and she kept having to hide and like because they were just trying to get her and do all of the horrible things to her. Um and that was that was what my nightmare imagine? was about. That was the that was when I, I actually in doing all of this and seeing that, like that was what made me have a nightmare. <sighs> and in my dream I was just running and running trying to find cover. As much as I could, because I knew I was not safe there at all. You know, I mean, I'm not built. I can't. I'm not going to win this, you know. Um, And so it was just that was what the dream was, was just like all I could do was run. You just that's all you could do. Run. Hide. Yeah. And um, hide in a place where there's nowhere to hide. Um, And so basically. It. For a while. The crowd was kind of left to just burn it all to the ground. There were fire response teams there for a bit, but they, it seems, were pulled out. Security was pulled out, likely, I guess, because they knew the riot police were coming. And uh, come they did. And, um, you know, but like before they did, people who were, you know, those, it was just, it was just madness. Like people were trying to leave. And if you wanted to leave, sometimes you couldn't because the traffic was so bad, you couldn't get out of there. So people resorted to, ripping holes or finding big holes in metal fences so they they can maybe like get vehicles out that way so they were just going off road trying to drive out that way just trying to, to get out of there and there was no easy way out and before too long the riot police on ATVs came and just started beating the shit out of people and immediately yeah. quote control was gained and footage and images from the next morning of what the sun looked like rising on that festival are some of the most eerie things i have ever scene it looks like a war zone there's smoke haze like you can't even see the sun it's like that ashy scary haze and google this i'm gonna google yeah look up look up uh monday morning woodstock 1999 or woodstock 99 <gasps> wow no yeah it's it looks like a shelled war zone like it got actually bombed and destroyed. The um, trash. No, yeah, dude. Isn't that incredible? Like, there's videos. Like, whenever you have time today, just watch videos of the swirling trash at Woodstock '99. It's incredible. Just the wind blowing the trash. Um, all in, three people died at this festival, which is amazing. That's all. Um, a 24 year old uh, young guy, a 28 year old woman that I believe was struck by a car. Um, a 60 year old, I think that I think he was about 60 year old man, um, who was actually an OG Woodstock veteran, uh, who came again and he died of heat exhaustion, unfortunately. Um, Shit. 
The true scale of the amount of sexual assaults and full-on rapes will never be known, probably. Um, as this it gets more attention, this documentary, this new documentary coming out, I wouldn't be surprised if some people feel more comfortable coming forward. Now, also, this climate that we live in is a bit more yeah. forgiving to come forward yeah. and speak out. Um, only a small fraction was reported, like a, a, like I mean, like four. You know, like, I mean, like something like that, like seriously. And considering there's already countless amounts of footage that you can watch of women, many of which who are underage being groped against their will, uh, I believe it's way more than that. And I think the number was astronomical. Of course. And mind you, many of these people were minors. And it is also unknown for sure how many people who were made ill by the sanitary conditions. But in like a lot of the personal stories I was reading, like, at least one person per group got sick, oftentimes multiple. So it was a lot. And best of all, the organizers, including Mike Lang, who was an original Woodstock organizer, took no responsibility. John Schur, who was the biggest piece of fucking work I have ever seen, is the worst of them all, dude. He was there every day telling everybody everything's fine. He was like, it, man, he like has a whole thing. In the end of the documentary, the Woodstock uh, fucking train wreck 99 one saying like no no there are more there were no more rapes i mean it's like that was a small city there would be the same amount of rapes in that city as there'd be in any other city that was his answer um and also that like of course i mean like it was naked girls what do they expect you know and also he blamed it all on lip biscuit and the bands and not at all in the sand oh and the, the fact wow. that his sanitary people never showed up and his staff did never took responsibility never took a shred of cool. responsibility um and even in the documentary is still as steadfast as ever that it's like ah well not my fault um so i have for uh, you well i hope he gets absolutely obliterated i hope he gets taken down so hard somehow i leave you saying killed I'm, illegally yeah yeah i know um and so that i conclude for you is the horror story of capitalism and human nature it's a story of horror Points of happiness, music, mayhem, youth, rage, power, abuse, um, something scary for everybody is in that story. And I know it scared the shit out of me. And I, I know it was long, but I hope um, I hope that so y'all got something out of this. I'm looking at I'm, I'm kind of trawling through some of the pictures and I even when you said like how many people there were and like the fact that you could look out and it's just people as far as the eye could see. I, I, I wasn't expecting this. This is, oh, this is too many people. It's, it's terrifying. It's too much. It was it's oversold. Too- Everything about it is greed. And the picture I'm looking at, I see one, two, three, maybe four or five yellow shirts in a crowd that is bigger than three times my graduating class. Like it, it's massive. Yeah. It's a lot. It's very intense. It was, um, it was a disaster. It is known as one of you know the m- most biggest disasters in like a public event in history. Um, Can you imagine putting this on and not taking any responsibility taking for it? Any responsibility? For and that. they made as a, a lot of money, even though they had to pay a lot of money and clean up and all kinds of shit. But they didn't as a human like being, should have. You feel like you you would feel something. You know, just yeah. as a as a human with a con, like you feel like you would feel something. God, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I hate that. So I hated that. That is, uh, God damn! I talked for like an hour and a half. I'm so sorry. Um, that is that. 
Oh, do you want to take a break? No, let's finish. Okay. All right. Oh, give me a second. I'm going to stretch. That's okay. Dude, I'm wearing a a dress that I got in the mail today because I'm going to wear it to Anahata's. And it is 100% glitter, and I popped it on just to see if it would fit and if I could wear it. And it does, and I love it. It looks great. But everything's covered in glitter right now. That's how it be. It's so it's so glittery. My tits are Edward. Oh. <sighs> um. Right. Okay. Was that too? Was that boring? Was that inter- Was that too long? No. No. That I thought. Okay. That was okay. Incredibly interesting. All right. Um. And like you said, I think that there was quite a bit for. There's something for everybody. There's something for. Uh. There. Are, there. There are parts that I felt ill. I don't feel good about it. Uh, so let's bring it down. Let's go from very real world things. I want to talk to you about the world of SCP. I'm ready to hear about it. Okay. All right. So if you've been around the internet for a while, you may be, uh, you may know what the old SCP is. If you don't, I'll give you a quick little Wikipedia surface level information. The SCP Foundation is a fictional secret organization documented by the collaborative writing wiki project of the same name. So this started as um, a, a smaller project where people would go and they would make these entities. Now, each entity has its own like number uh, assigned to it. And The lore of this thing just kind of grew and grew and grew. And because it's an open collaborative writing project, there are now just like thousands of SCPs. Um, However, to kind of step back a little bit, SCP Foundation. Now, this is like your, uh, it's almost like your CERN level of clandestine big bad bitch. Right. And they are the uh, trained individuals that document and contain these entities. Now, SCP stands for Special Containment Procedure. Hmm. And their, like, motto is secure, uh, contain, protect. So SCP, SCP, right? But that's what they do is they secure the entity, they contain it, Mm -hmm. and then they protect either the entity or they protect people from the entity, right? Right. So you can go and find entities, and they're usually named something like this. Um, Hold on. Which one did I want to read? Ah, here we go. One of my favorites is SCP-294. So that's how we're looking at the names. They have these almost prisoner-esque style names. And they are kept in whatever facility needs to house them, and they just have people kind of keep an eye on them. Now, Mm -hmm. they have a couple of different uh, levels of um, classification, so there are safe, hold on, I lost my, uh, I lost where my uh, things are. Oh, where's like safe, Euclid, and Keter? Okay, there's safe, Euclid, and Keter. I believe that there's another one that basically means, uh, it's like the type of housing. I, I don't know, the SCP universe has expanded wildly since I was very first into it. But essentially, you've got safe, Euclid, and Keter kind of going up in danger from safe to Keter being like, okay, this has the potential to like in the world. This is why we have to contain it. Got it. But the example I gave you earlier, SCP-294, it's a coffee vending machine that can dispense anything that does or can exist in liquid form. 
including on occasion abstract concept. So in this world, in this universe, someone found this coffee machine that you could go up to, you could type coffee and it'd squirt you out a hot, perfect cup of coffee. You could type Coke and it would pour you a little glass of Coke. You could type blood and it would squirt blood. Pretty cool. Uh, I believe the abstract concept was somebody one time put a, they wrote happiness and it dispensed a liquid that when they drank just gave them a euphoric feeling of happiness. So this thing, it doesn't hurt anyone unless, of course, you choose to type and then drink poison. Um, but it, it just sort of exists. Another one of my favorite sort of safe class SCPs is the pizza box. Uh, the pizza box is a pizza box that is always hot and fresh. And depending on who opens it, their favorite pizza is always inside. And you can mm -hmm. eat it. It does not hurt you. It's just a weird anomaly. Mm -hmm. But then again, there are other SCPs that are a little bit higher up in the ranking. And the one that I like to use as the example here is SCP-096 the shy guy. I feel like these are all of the SCPs that you mentioned the first time we talked about SCPs. Like three probably years because ago. They, I remember all, all of these. I remember yeah. the pizza box. I remember the drink machine. I remember the shy guy. <laughs> they are uh, they're they're my favorites by far. Uh, so shy guy is a tall, think like a naked, like emaciated, slender man, right? And he's got this well. He's, I believe, uh, be believed to have a long, stretched-out face because you don't really know. Because if you ever do catch a glimpse of his face, he will relentlessly pursue you until he gets you and kills you. Just don't right? look at him. So, yeah, so you just can't look at him. He won't do anything if you don't see his face. So if he's around, you just kind of got to hold your breath, pretend he's not there, and he'll go away. Uh, there's also one that I could never remember the name of, but it's I, I know I talked about him in the first episode where we kind of first mentioned SCPs. I forget his name, but he kind of, he just stands behind a door and breathes and you know, he's there and he doesn't hurt you. He won't hurt you. Mm -hmm. He'll just have you stand at the door, terrified to open it because you know, he's on the other side. Mm -hmm. The thing is, as soon as you muster up the courage to reach for the doorknob and open it, he disappears. It's the fear itself that keeps you locked in that one spot. And people mm -hmm. have been known to, like, starve to death, you know, or or dehydrate, you know. And, and uh, they can be entities like that, like actual moving, breathing kind of things. They can also just be strange places that pop up. Um, I, I'm thinking of the stairwell. The stairwell is one that... At any given time, you're going through your day, you walk down some stairs, and they could just turn into an infinite stairwell. That sucks. And there's nothing you can do about it. If you go up or down, it's infinite. You just have to walk it through until it decides it's done with you and it lets and you go. And boom, you, you find out. yourself at the... And it's like that yeah, time we walked down Reunion Tower. That is exactly what I was fucking thinking, bro. There's also one called... Uh, I think it has a funny name. It's like a perfectly normal, regular Ikea. Great. But it's like a strange liminal space of an Ikea. Uh, so the, I hope you get the point here. It's It can be anything, everything. It can be everything that's uh, everything from like horrible earth ending. There's undestroyable giant lizards that will like one day 
completely devour the earth. But then there's guys like SCP-999, the tickle monster. Okay. And this is from ScreenRant.com. Not all of the monsters contained by the Federation or, or by the Foundation are dangerous to humans. There's a glob of orange slime that wants nothing more than to bring joy to people. This is SCP-999, an anomaly rated as safe class. It possesses the ability to make anything laugh. The Foundation views this object so highly that they even allow it outside of its cell. This is a very rare anomaly with no dangerous dangerous or dark twists, just being cute and... um, just being cute in a universe of horror. In fact, this anomaly is even even able to pacify other anomalies. Even the like biggest and scariest ones out there, he can kind of bring them to the Oh, cute. He's a cutie. I would love to hug SCP-999. With that said, and without getting into, if you're out there and if you're like a huge SCP buff, I'm not... This is not an SCP episode. This is not me trying to go into yeah, this is just our little history. This is our fun snack. This is just a fun snack here. I right now, now that we have a basic understanding of SCPs, I want to find out what SCP you would be, Macy. I and then we know can too. we can Google it and we can learn a little bit about it. So I have a quiz. I will tell you. We're gonna buckle in here because this is the best quiz I could find because it didn't have those answers that were like Stupid answers, right? They, they seemed to be actual questions. It is 30 questions, so take a so breath. So let's blow through fast. Let's blow through. What is your strength? Dedication, discipline, creativity, trustworthiness. Discipline. What is your biggest fear? Being alone without friends or family? Not being successful financially? My greatest fear is to have no more fear or not believing in myself. Not believing in myself. What makes you really angry? Lies and liars? Abusive parents? Screaming children? Or bad manners? Lies and liars. I knew you were going to say that. What makes you laugh the most? Sarcastic jokes, watching stand-up comedy, reading a comic book, or seeing someone making fun of someone else? Uh, whatever the first one was. Uh, if you could choose to do anything for a day, what would it be? Work, play games, travel, exercise slash doing sports? I mean, probably play games. I mean, yeah. That seems like the best answer. Traveling's pretty cool. Would you rather ride a bike, ride a horse, drive a car, or walk? I don't know. I'd ride a horse. I haven't ridden a horse in a while. <laughs> that horse in love. <laughs> what type of music do you listen to represents what you most likely listen to? Rock, pop, classical, electronic? I guess rock. Rock. I hate answering that because rock sounds so cheesy. I know. It sounds like butt rock. What would you rather do? Wash the dishes, mow the lawn, clean the bathroom, vacuum the house? Uh, probably wash the dishes. I like how this quiz also like subtly shaming you. Mm-hmm. It's like you need to go do all of those, bitch. What is your favorite food? Meat, pasta, milk, vegetables. That's not okay. Um, Just out of the list. All right. There is. I'll let you know a picture of a uh, grilled. Mac and cheese sandwich, though. I guess vegetables? Like, that seems to be the most diverse group I get. Are you sure not milk? Milk as a food? <laughs> if you were to have one of the following nicknames, what would it be? Babyface, Champ, Lava, Thunder. I feel like you need to answer that one. <laughs> I kind of like Thunder. I was going to pick Thunder. I'm glad. 
I kind of like thunder. That or I mean, champ is cute. Uh, do you like or dislike surprises? You can either say I like surprises, I hate surprises, only if they're from people that I know, or only if they're from strangers. Only if they're from people that I know. Hmm. What is your weakness? Discipline, patience, determination, enthusiasm. I don't know. Probably patience sometimes. What do you do in the evenings? Visit friends, play games, watch movies, read a book? Uh, I guess, I don't know. Just put watch movies. That seems like a safe bet. All right. Where's your ideal vacation? Hawaii, Egypt, boat cruising, Budapest, Vienna, Prague, like, I guess everywhere. Oh, that's like a lot. Um, yeah, like, I guess I'm a big traveler. The Budapest, Vienna, Prague, was that one option? All right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it's a threefer. How many days do you think you would survive on a deserted island? Deserted. Deserted island. You would die the first day, you would last several months, several years, or I would live there my whole life. Uh, I would last, I think I'd last a few months. Same. What would you do with infinite money? End poverty, buy expensive clothes, buy the most beautiful cars, or I wouldn't use infinite money. That seems stupid. I would end poverty. I mean, that seems like the best answer. How would your friends describe you? Funny, loyal, smart, strong. God, I don't know. Loyal? I hope. <laughs> I'm not going to say strong. funny. Yeah. I'm strong woman. <laughs> I say funny every time. <laughs> That's the only thing I ever... What are, uh, what are your... Ho- Pick one of the following for a hobby. Traveling, doing sports, cooking, reading books. Uh, cooking. What's your favorite pet? Dog, cat, fit. fish, or parrot? <laughs> Dog. Specifically, a parrot. <laughs> Fuck all other birds. What is your favorite form of public transportation? Air, boat, car, train? Car. Favorite zoo animal? Lion, monkey, giraffe, bear? Lion. What did you like the most in school? Math, language, sports, art? Uh, I mean, art. Yeah. Okay, Rocco. I expected there I to like, only be. I expected only I like, like, like your STEM ones. I didn't expect like to get an art option. I was ready to say English or literature until I heard art. If you if you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Stop drinking. Stop working. Stop lying. Stop fighting. I would probably stop lying. That's fun. <laughs> Could you, I love the idea of just having like a, a button that you wear every day that just says, stop lying. Stop lying. <laughs> if you could join any of these groups to play music with, what would you want to join? The Prodigy, Nirvana, The Beatles, Queen. Queen. Obviously. How many languages can you speak? One. Way to Who knows point, you the best? Way to Your point mom, that out, heart- quiz. <laughs> Oh, I love how it goes up to four. Yeah, thanks. Uh, who knows you the best? Your mom, your partner, your friend, nobody but yourself. Probably, I don't know. I I mean, I think it's the case with anybody. Nobody but yourself. Oh. What possessions would you keep um, if in, in, in the event of, like, let's say a fire? Family photos, pictures of yourself, oh. books, wedding ring. Uh, 
family photos, but it is funny to imagine going through those photos and only getting pictures of yourself out and letting yeah. the others. Yeah, you're like this one, slay. Yes. <laughs> uh, what age? <laughs> what age do you feel is the best age? Twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. I mean, I'm starting to see a lot of love and respect and just given to the 40s. Mm, mm, mm. Pick out of these your favorite drink. Water, wine, beer, whiskey. Water. I picked it before you said it. Yeah. What's the best way to start the day? Coffee, sports, laying in bed, eating a healthy breakfast. They really love sports. Uh, Sports. Eating a healthy, I would say eating a healthy breakfast. Either that or fucking sports. I don't give a shit. One of those two. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. You are SCP-3674. Okay. Also known as uh, Felix Jewel in Communications. Okay. I have a couple of different descriptions of this entity. Entity had the body of a human male with an owl head. Cool. Some witnesses reported that it had large raven-like wings, while others claimed it had no wings. Another description. Humanoid male in a lab coat with an undefinable... uh, Possibly shifting face. The entity Hmm. carried a sword capable of igniting fires. Okay. A large bird, possibly a stork or crane, capable of speech. Okay. So kind of a nebulous description there. Kind of also like an angel bird man. Angel angel bird man. Attorney in law. Um... I, okay, I'll take it. I'll be a Felix, what was it, Felix Jewelman? Uh, well, let me leave a switch here. Felix Jewel Communications. Mm. And um, let me see if there's anything else of note here. Eyewitnesses report that this SCP has multiple independent entities. However, evidence suggests that they may be a single entity with metamorphic properties. Oh, cool. For the purpose of this document, they will be... Oh, that's another thing. Is SCP... You learn about these SCPs through reading about them uh, as if you were reading a... Uh, like a case like a, file. Yeah, like a... Yeah, yeah, a document. Right, yeah. Um, let's see... Uh, let's see, might be metaphorical. For the purpose of this document, they will be treated as discrete entities. Uh, they are capable of speech, and they are capable of speaking a mixture of languages depending on what the listener is fluent in. Mm. Uh, let's see. All activity of this SCP have come from recorded video and radio transmissions. SCP-3674 is the designation for an unidentified entity and or group of entities responsible for the assault on Site-24 Sector H on August 8th, 2018. This incident resulted in the death and or disappearance of 44 of the 97 personnel. So you're dangerous. I'm very dangerous. Uh, oh, wow. Okay, so it looks here that um, a member of the SCP named... Agent Christian Brandt 
was responsible for accidentally spawning this type of SCP that uh, essentially came in and looked like they raided the place. Mm. So you might be like an, an angelic entity here to uh, right wrongdoings of spooky, creepy, big, bad, clandestine bitch organizations. And I feel like that fits for you. I mean, maybe so. I did say I don't like liars. You you don't like liars. You, that means like you're going to come down with your means angel, I'm an angel wings and a flaming sword. Yeah, I'm basically a Xerophel. Uh, yeah! Cute. Except all the all the depictions I'm seeing also have also have him in like, like business casual. <laughs> Which is kind of lit, you know? I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we know now. Yeah, wow. I am so hot. It is mm. so hot back in this room right now. So hot right now. I'm done. I'm I really don't have that many words left. Well, uh I guess what we can do now is we can fade into listener stories and listen up. Even if you are somebody who doesn't necessarily listen to the listener stories because they might be a little too spooky, give the first one give a go. Give the first one a go, please. It's great. Yes. Uh, you can always stop it if you feel like you're going to be spooked out for some reason, but I promise you this is not that kind of thing. Uh, it is something that is going to get jotted down into history of Waba for forever and ever. So yeah. you, need, you need to be here for that. Yep. Should we take a break from the spookiness to talk about something glittery and not spooky at all? <laughs> yes, we, we'll take a moment in this in this spooky, spooky darkness oh. and uh, talk about some shimmering, shimmering light. Light up the night, as it were. Ooh, yeah. No, I'm I'm really excited. I'm I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty jazzed to talk about uh, today's ad. We're back with another blessed be magic spot, and we got we got to pick out some more neat things. And Charlie, we we picked out the same thing again, and we're yeah. gonna talk to you about them today because they're so cute. Hold the phone. They're also brand new. Brand new, rolling out, and um, we both, Charlie and me both picked, and this is new from Blessed Be Magic, uh, they are teeny tiny little single stud earrings of these symbols. Yeah, teeny tiny, teeny little pentacles, little triple goddesses, mm -hmm. there's horned gods, uh, and then there's the set. I'm sorry, it's one earring is the triple goddess and one is the horn god, and I love wearing different studs on each ear i love I do that too. so much i that was what it that was what drew me to the set that i got which is also the the, the set that you got which yeah. is the ankh and the eye of horus yeah um and we set. picked we picked separately and we got to get together and we were like hey what did what did you pick you know what did you get from blessed be and i got a pentacle mini stud earring set because i, I want i'm i love the pinnacle i just love it I've got to get another set of studs. I can't, li I need more of these because as I'm going to get into, and maybe for you too, I'm able to, I'm wearing earrings for the first time in like five years. Like you, my body, my ear wants to immediately reject anything yeah. that I put in it. Yeah. And I know because of that, you are just flat out not an earring wearer. So tell no. me. No. Have you been yeah. wearing your earrings? I have not taken them out. Uh, the day that they came in, I just, I mean, just ripped that package open. I was so excited. And I got the Sterling set. And usually I know within about 30 minutes yes. if I'm going to have a problem or yes. not. It starts fast. And, you know, I, I kind of like, I, 
and you know, it's so weird. It's like, I didn't have to like all the way puncture through to get through my right one, but like to, I did have to add a good amount yeah. of pressure and there was a pop, but it didn't yeah. hurt, you know? Um, but like, that's how long it's been like years. So I have had them in ever since. And I think I'm looking at like two ish, two, three weeks now, even like the first night I had them in, I was sitting on the couch and Hunter looked over and he was like, are you wearing earrings? Yeah. I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. And they're so cute. They're so cute. I yes. can't handle when I opened that box, because it shows on the site, like on, you know, on ears, like how tiny they are. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure. And then like I opened them and was like, oh, this is so tiny. Like, oh yeah. my God. Oh, I love them so much. I sleep in them. I've been sleeping in them. Um, I've had no issue. I've been showering baths, mm -hmm. the whole thing. And I have had not a sick. The only issue I've had is my fault. Cause I'm not used to wearing earrings and I keep scratching them or catching them on stuff or like, I'll yeah. just reach up and like, Oh, like my earlobe bitches. Let me just really get that. And I'm like, Oh fuck, I can't do that right now anymore. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's like welcome things to, like that. Welcome back to the, uh, the, the world of daily wear earrings, man. But man, I every seeing them in them, especially with my like new little short haircut. Yeah. These tiny oh, little cute. earrings yeah. with this little short haircut, like the pair of them together, like I'll just catch it in the mirror and I'm just like, y'all are so y'all are like a sassy duo. You really work together. And it's just super cute. I if I had to pick like I love specifically, I love the little onk. Yes. Um yeah. it's just it's it's so it's so cute, but I do love them as the pair because they're so different. And I, I do love a little, if there's something just kind of, there's just something a little weird, you know, about like a mismatching stud combo and I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little, um, e even though, you know, the, the pieces themselves are many, it does kind of give you that like BDE, you know, it, it gives you that <laughs> yeah, energy <exactly. laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and that's what I love about these sets is frankly, you can buy a pre mix matched set. They have the mismatch, uh, mismatch, mix match, triple goddess, horn God, and also the Ankh and eye of Horus. Uh, but you can kind of just mix and match whatever set. Like, that's why I'm really glad I got the pinnacles as well, because I can do like a pinnacle and, you know, yeah. uh, an eye one day or, or something like that. But, you know, as with everything from Blessed Be Magic, these are your tiny little talisman for you to wear on your body every day, if, if you want, uh, to kind of be personal pieces of just your pow personal pieces of power and protection. <laughs> There's some alliteration for you. Yeah. Nice and nice and spitty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I hope that pop filter works. <laughs> I I'm just super excited about these. I I have missed earrings and I really love these teeny. I just can't get over how much I love the size of these. They do yeah. they command they're just little powerful earrings in they're, their they're size. Power packs. Yeah. Yeah, in their small size they are immensely powerful because they're there and they're just happy to be there and they don't need a whole lot of room to convey their power. They just they are just fine the way they are. And I love with tiny stud earrings. I love having those in like the second pierced hole. If you Do you have I mean? multiple pierced? Do you have two? I, uh, I do. I probably have to, you know, work on them a little bit. Yeah. Um, but at one point I had four holes in each ear cause I'm a badass. Did you really? I, yeah, I, I, huh. 
I do love the idea of having these little minis in the second hole, kind of as your constant. And then you can, yeah. you know, you can change up where your costume, where your whatever you want to wear your showies, but you just have those back there, all that's just kind of whispering in your ear, like, you're, hey, you're a witch, you're a fucking badass. They'd look super cute, like up in like a, like the cartilage area. Too. Mm, oh, yeah. Up there, up high. They would be so stinking cute. Oh, dude, I love all the ways that you can pierce an ear. I know that's beside the point, but it's I love cool. all the different yeah. holes you can put well, And that's what's neat about these is that because they are so small and nimble, and I don't know anything about ear piercing, but I do feel like you could put them in several places. It makes them very versatile in there, like where you can put them on the ear, mm-hmm. which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, and they're just fresh. They're just the cutest. And there's gold, there's silver, and there's rose gold. Oh, yep. So you, got it. you have options on the colors there, but like seriously, no irritation here on my end. And I just just can't i cannot stress how wild that is are you a gold a rose gold or a silver person i i got these in, and you know it really depends on the piece like mm. my my wedding set is rose gold yeah uh, i like rose gold with gemstones um depending on certain colors and i like silver with certain gemstones generally yellow gold is kind of my third ranked consistently yeah uh, but i got I, my merkaba my merkaba is gold and i couldn't oh. imagine it any other way uh but no that's good i like that there's options there um and, and the options continue on with the little studs so if you make your way over to blessed be magic that's magic with a k dot com you can take a peek at these little baddies and just for being a bean just for being a listener of the wbah podcast you can use the code tell them macy which bitch all caps one word (laughs) okay how come saying which bitch in the it's been tone has never occurred to me i don't know which bitch (laughs) it should (laughs) for a fat 15 percent off 15 percent off 15 percent off check out these studs check out their full catalog it's huge i I know i got another little piece that uh, we'll be talking about in a later review uh, that's super super cute and also customizable and has little charms and things like that it's just there's so much personalization that can happen here uh check all of this out this is blessed be magic and that's magic with a ck dot com hop on over there guys they have supported the show for a long time now long time friends of the show blessed be magic all right. Are you ready? Are you ready? Dude, I'm stoked. For, I've been looking forward to this all day long. Arguably the best part of the show. I think so. It can, it, it is the most consistently good. I don't it just feels like a while. Let, hey, sue me. I'm ready for spooky season, okay? Hey, I am no this I I do want to say I am see I am viewing this as uh pre like pre oh. like this is launching it for me. This is launching spooky season. I'm drinking Bright Witch Midnight <gasps> Cauldron. Um, like I'm drinking a good fall, nice, warm tea, you know, I've got my resins going. I like sprayed the room down with like this lovely, like, it's like kind of a mix. You know, that rosemary mist that your mom made us like forever ago. Yes, ma'am. Well, so like, clearly that was like forever ago. And so I went a little bit, like I had like about half of it left. So I put a bunch more tea tree oil in it today and a bunch of other essential oils and filled it up the rest of the way with water and just kind of like remade it you know yeah yeah revive it's like stone soup you can just kind of keep exactly yeah yeah and so i I like sprayed the room all down with that earlier and it's just it feels like i'm like manifesting cool weather i'm drinking out of the witch bitch amateur our little cauldron mug that cat cave studio made us seem like i'm i'm really leaning into this good 
I'm glad. I have been itching to get my ass into a spirit. I haven't been yet. I can't believe I haven't been yet. But Are they open? Per- oh, yeah, baby. Homie, uh, I had no idea. They're Whoa. back. They're back. We need to go. Yeah, we do. We need to go mm-hmm. now and, like, make our plans, you know. We need to go and, like, live stream the whole thing, I think. Yeah, like, I do want to s- figure out a way to do that, like, nice and incognito casual, you know. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Because, like, homie, I don't even take a selfie in public. Like, I'm really weird about people seeing me film in public. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's what we'll do. We'll get one of those big sticks that you carry around. Oh, they'll love Uh, that. Yeah, we'll get, like, some flogging equipment. We'll have little, like, portable lights to put in our face. We'll be nice and thrown out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, let's jump into the listener spooky stories. And we have a fun one to start off with. This first one is from Lucas. I just kind of want to give some background on this one here. Okay, so they say your last spooky sode inspired me to remember the absolute legend of a short story I wrote in 2003 when I was in elementary school. Awesome. I figured you might get as much of a laugh slash mild horror out of it as I did when I was rereading it. And I'll raise you. The only thing funnier than horror written by AI is horror written by a small child. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. So we've got a, a couple, it looks like a, a couple of chunks. Oh, oh, very short chapters I'm seeing. Uh, chapters that are no more than a paragraph. Written with so. the attention span of a child. Yes. And here we have, with no changes to spelling, I present... <laughs> The Haunted House, and in parentheses. And here you can clearly see that I had originally written a subtitle of a very scary story, and then erased it for some unfathomable reason. That's fucking cool. The Haunted House, a very scary story. A very scary story. That's awesome. Tells you everything you need to know. Uh, Okay. Chapter one. Two brave cats. (laughs) <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a city in Cat Town called H- Halloween Town, and it was the scariest place on Earth. Oh, Everyone man. who came into the house on the most abandoned street in Halloween Town never came back. Halloween Town, I- inside Cat Town. Inside Cat Town, yes. Inside the is city Cat of Cat Town, it's it's like a, a city inside a city, or is Cat Town the state? It's like Bossing Say. I feel like yeah, it's in layers. So, oh. later, other people looked in the old cemetery behind the house and saw the skeletons of the people <laughs> <laughs> that went in laying innocently on the ground. What? They were they were teachers. At Halloween Town School. Grave Cemetery High School. Oh, hot, yes. Then they went to the school in the town square of Cat Town to tell about the skeletons in the in the cemetery. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There were two cats in this school. That wanted to go inside of the house that nobody ever came out of. Oh, shit. 
when they went to the town square to see if they could go. The mayor laughed and said it was hopeless, <laughs> but he let them go. Chapter two. Oh! The haunted house. Mm. When the two cats got back home, they told their mom and dad that they wanted to do what they wanted to do. They packed their backpacks and set off. They went across bits of country and bits of city. <laughs> Finally, they reached it. It loomed up before them. It's heavy. Is it not in the same town? I mean, there's a lot of towns here. How homie. big is I still town? can't keep it straight. I don't know. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. It loomed up before them. It's heavy iron gates swinging wildly in the wind. They walked through the gates and through the oak front doors. Mm. It was dark and dusty inside. Cobwebs covered the many couches and chandeliers that were squashed into the house. Suddenly, a noise ran through the house and made them shudder. <laughs> the first one, who's, who was named S Sneaker, Zoomed back to his brother Soren. Whoa. Just in time, too, a big steel axe came swinging oh. right through where Sneaker had just been a moment ago. Then, oh, close call. The floor opened up under them and they fell through. It was a trap door. When they got to the bottom, they picked themselves up the floor and dusted themselves off. Chapter three A spooky basement. Oh, no. Hold on. Pause really quick. Do you want to? We can discuss. We can discuss what's happened. So I, I need to. Yeah. Okay. 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 Uh, so we have two cats that are investigating this house that nobody ever comes back from. Yes. And the with two, the permission of their parents. And the mayor who left. <laughs> but did let, let them in. And we have two two entities that have names. We've got Sneaker and Soren. Soren. I, I think Sneaker me. and Soren are the cats. Okay, I was going to say, it seems strange that the ghost would have had names and the cats didn't. Yeah, okay, no, we're they're just the now cats. learning. Yes. Okay, we've got Sneaker and Soren are the cats' names. Okay, yes, great. which is great. pretty pretty cute, really. I mean, that's fucking adorable, dude. If I yeah. had a cat tomorrow, I would name him Sneaker. Uh, Soren is a badass name, and I, oh, I feel yeah. like I remember the character. Soren is a character from somewhere. Their their little child self plucked that from a book or something because I remember the name Soren. I know that name from I, somewhere. I, you know, it, it could be false, uh, false brain trickery. But now that you say it, I feel like it's a thing. And yeah. I googled it, and I'm just seeing that it's a Danish theology okay. name. So I, I don't know. <laughs> Chapter three, <laughs> a spooky basement. As they looked around, they saw they had landed either in a basement or a torture chamber. Because skeletons that had <laughs> chains attached to themselves lined the walls, 
But that wasn't all. There was a huge, spiky chair and something that looked very much like an executing block. God. Uh-huh. There were also some pictures on the wall that seemed to follow Sneaker and Soren with their eyes. Sneaker saw a small, glittering treasure case and reached for it. Soren stopped him and said, Don't touch anything, Sneaker. Mm-mm. Chapter 4 Skeletons come to life. Oh no. Wonder what's gonna happen. I know. I knew it. Just like a little kid to just like totally blow the plot like immediately. <laughs> Sneaker waited for Soren to turn back around, then grabbed the treasure case. Treasure case is an interesting, huh. not chest, treasure case. Treasure case. It's smaller. It's compact. Yeah, yeah. It's like a suitcase. Mm, mm. grabbed the treasure case which had a skull and crossbones sign and stuffed it into his backpack <laughs> oh uh-huh. uh-huh soon they were in a room full of dusty skeletons <laughs> Soren stayed behind to take notes what? While, sne- while Sneaker walked on he soon caught sight of the stairs he was almost there when he heard a muscled cry of help. Help! Skeletons have come to life! Oh, they said it! They said the name of the chapter! Sneaker froze. It sounded exactly like Soren's voice. Catching sight of a sword, Sneaker grabbed it and ran back to the skeleton chamber. Oh! There, tied and gagged to the tall post in the middle of the room... Jesus! Was Soren. The, the, the skeletons surrounding him didn't see Sneaker come in. But some skeletons that were standing guard did. They threw oh, back their okay. heads and made a high pitch. Exactly the same as when they had first entered. Oh. And then I just stopped writing. The story ends there. No to be continued. No the end. I can only assume Sneaker and Soren meet the same fate as everyone else who entered the house. I love that. Yep. An open ending. Good. A good good Sopranos ending. Yes, yes, yes. Make your own ending. Mm -hmm. You're ahead of your time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also love it. I love it. Love it when a show doesn't pull a punch, you know? They'll they kill off the main characters? Hell yeah, dude. Dude, I love... I love it so much. I, I love a repeated focus. Just like with black holes in the AI story. This yes. is skeletons, skeletons. Skeletons everywhere. Yeah. Suddenly, soon, they were in a room full of dusty skeletons. Dusty, <laughs> just, just soon. Like, soon? You, you mean the room you're in? Yeah. I love it. Uh, kid brains are so funny. And Sneaker uh, Man. And just... What, sneaker and yeah. Soren. That was um, 100% better than anything I've ever written in my entire life. I, I love it so much. That story will probably stick with me to the day I die. I, I think it feels like a, a little bit of a crease was was mushed in somewhere yeah. up, in, up in the old dome. <laughs> it was squished in just like the couches. Yeah, and the chandeliers. Yeah. <laughs> That was that was cute. It's just like couch, 
couch and chandelier emporium. Oh. <sighs> okay. Wow. Ooh. All right. That's a nice little fade in into our spooky stories. Our, our next one comes from Megan. I grew up in a very small town in Massachusetts with not much to do besides your typical rebellious teen antics. I have to stop here and I just, I this absolutely is, forgot. I keep feeling it. like this is a fictional story and it's not going to be. This is a real story now. We're moving away from <laughs> and then, fiction. And then there were skeletons everywhere. The teachers were all skeletons. Covered in dust and couches. Um, I forgot to commend you on your wonderful reading of that story. That It, it, it was so good. It, it shot me to another place and it, uh, Thank uh, you. Thank you for the the Rocco esque delivery. Um, thank you. My vocal my vocal cords feel exactly like they do when I play Rocco. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad you have some tea to kind of. Uh, uh, yes, but it might give you like a a spooky rasp. Yeah, I might be husky. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every story you read will be <laughs> like that. Oh god. Okay, Megan. <laughs> So sorry. Megan says, I grew up in a very small town in Massachusetts with not much to do besides your typical rebellious teen antics. It's an old town with lots of farmland and forest. So there are quite a few abandoned houses that my best friend and I would break into for fun. This Is was going to be the theme. Breaking into houses. <gasps> abandoned houses. Yeah. You're calling it early. Calling mm. it early. I like that. The friend involved in this story is also a bean named Ooh. Emily V. Hi, and Emily And she doesn't v. know I'm submitting this. <laughs> so hi, Em. Hello, Emily. <laughs> One of these abandoned houses was walking distance from my house, just on the edge of, I shit you not, an old abandoned Girl Scout camp. Yeah! Oh, man, I would be there every fucking day snooping around Ooh. trying to find EVPs. Oh, yeah. I'd be looking in all the little holes for hidden cookies. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> this, this whole area. I was in the Girl Scouts. So you did that, dude. You went camping. You'd hide cookies for future generations to find. How did This th whole area what? was at the Wait, edge. Wait, what? They're just going to get no. wet. No, you didn't do that. Okay. That's the dumbest thing I've I'm, ever heard. Okay. Macy, I'm lying. Okay. <laughs> all right. It was on the edge of a Girl Scout camp. This whole area was at the edge of a town on a body, body of water called Vinton Pond mm. and led to miles of state forest. And let me just say, this spot is spooky at night. Cool. You access these woods by walking down a long road with access to a state park on the left and empty woods mm. on the right. Yes. Eventually coming. There's bodies in there, dude. I just know it. Eventually coming to the huge pond with a private dirt road going around it. There are only a few houses on the pond, and the abandoned house in question was placed slightly further off from the rest. We knew about the house because of our uh, we knew about the house because our friend lived there for a very short period of time and had told us some very scary stories about it that ultimately caused them to move out. There's a lot of local lore surrounding the road that this house is on. And it was the last place a young girl was seen before disappearing back in the 80s. Wonderful. There was a massive search for her and multiple ponds were dredged in search for her body. Not this, uh, not this one off the road she disappeared on for whatever reason. Ooh, that's weird. That seems like that, that seems should be exactly what you should dredge. It's fishy. There's something going on there. I smell some. But unfortunately, this girl was never found. When my friend lived in this house, uh, his mom would say, oh, his mom would always hear a young girl's voice calling mom. Ugh. 
Sorry, I had to swallow on that one. That was gross. Mm. Whenever she was alone at home and believed it was the spirit of the missing girl, who was a Girl Scout, by the way, she is why the camp closed. Oh, it's getting mm. deeper. He said the basement was always the most active in the paranormal sense. His dog was always on edge and barking when it was down there. And he once saw the exercise bike pedals whirling around in circles with a that... messy figure materializing on the bike seat. That is both the cutest and the freakiest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah, I know. I love that a ghost it's is like, like, oh, got to get my cardio in for my non-existent yeah, yeah, yeah. vitals. It's one of those things that, like, I feel like you would see and you would immediately just scram. But then you'd think about it and you'd be like, they were just busting out a couple of laps. Yeah, they just wanted to remember what it felt like to ride a stationary bike. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the things to do in the afterlife, you muster the energy. Yeah. For this reason, Emily and I decided to check out the house, obviously. Sure. Before ever entering the house, we had driven past it multiple times, and it just felt wrong. Mm. It's a normal-looking house, small, white ranch, nothing special or necessarily creepy about it, not too old. I almost felt in danger whenever passing it, and when trying to drive some of my friends past it, they would panic and tell me to turn around, and they were not willing to see it. Mm. This happened with Emily and her friends as well. At night, animals would gather around it. It was almost like the house itself was an entity telling us to stay away. Dude, I'm just imagining like a little animal frat party. I am. I'm picturing like a circle of animals and they're all eating uh, like like rotten fruit and just getting uh, hammered drunk, howling hammered at the moon drunk. around this house. <laughs> Lit. Well, of course, we decide to go in one sunny autumn day. And the door is unlocked with the key left on the kitchen counter. Yuck. This is odd, as my friend was the last person to live here, and it's been state property ever since. Emily takes the key. The first thing I notice is that there's a bunch of old radio stuff out in the dining room like it was in use. Maybe just a homeless person, but there was quite, quite a bit of equipment, and it was rather old. Next thing I notice is that there's an old portrait of a woman in what used to be my friend's bedroom. He had told me about this portrait and how he was terrified of it because her eyes would follow you. Oh, that's also eyes following you. Okay. In abandoned houses. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Would follow you. So he hid it in the basement when he lived there. So how is it in his room now? What's even weirder is that the electricity is off, but for some reason it's working in the room with the portrait. That she was watching is me. I hate terrible. that. Oh, I hate that. She was watching me as I explored. Next, we go up to the attic and see a large. Oh, yeah. Okay. Next, we go up to the attic and see a large bed with leather wrist and ankle straps to restrain someone. Okay. This was not here when my friend. I was going to ask. I feel like this is new. Oh. <laughs> uh. At last, we decide to check out the basement. I slowly open the door and multiple things happened at once. In reality, there was the sound of very loud footsteps sprinting up the basement stairs, paired with a short, a sort of shimmery visible, uh, I'm sorry, paired with sort of a shimmery visible, I guess, entity flying up the stairs. The only way I can think of to describe it, uh, to describe the shimmer is when you badly Photoshop a person out of a photo and you can still see the shape of where they used to be. Got it. Okay. 
In my head, I saw a man running at me and heard a very loud and angry scream. This is such a clear memory that I have of being able to hear and see uh, the footsteps making a slight concave in the wooden steps as they pounded up the stairs. But in my head, I saw the actual man and heard his scream. Was this a spirit charging me for invading his space? Or was this an energetic imprint of something that happened in the past? Mm. I can't be sure, but I am sure that something charged up those stairs at me that day. I could feel the wind that was created. Ooh, I could feel the wind that was created by the movement. I could feel the sense of cl- uh, the closing distance, and I could feel all of his anger. We shrieked, slammed the door, and flew out of the house. There were four of us total, and we all had the exact same experience. That night, we had a sleepover, and Emily hides the key in her nightstand drawer. Dude. Mm. The next day, we decided uh, we wanted to go back and explore some more. And then in parentheses, it says, why? Yeah. And I go to grab the key. It's gone. The key straight up disappeared. We searched everywhere for it. And it had been put in a locked drawer. Well, we decide to go back since we left the door unlocked. We arrived and now the door is locked. We figure, okay, maybe the cops came and closed the house up. There were no signs of uh i hate it sorry but there was no signs of anyone or anything we break in through the back door (laughs) and the house looks different now the radio equipment is nowhere to be seen and now there is a letter on the kitchen counter dating back to the 1960s it seemed to be a love letter written by a woman to her plumber we take it y'all need to quit taking things yeah stop taking stuff (laughs) we just stop taking stuff We also find that the portrait of the woman is now placed in a different room, and now the lights only work in that room. Nothing else particularly spooky happened during this trip. We were way too scared to visit the basement again. Unfortunately, the town ended up boarding the house up, so we weren't able to investigate it any further. But we still walked or drove by pretty often. Without fail, there were always animals gathered at night, And there was always a choking feeling in my throat when we got close. The letter we had taken disappeared the next morning, same as the key. My theory is that the girl that went missing in the 80s was abducted and taken to this house, most likely murdered there and dumped into the pond or the old camp. She's definitely still there and probably doesn't know what happened to her. I have a feeling that whoever uh, charged up at me on the stairs was the killer. I truly hope I'm wrong in these assumptions, but that entity was malevolent, and there was definitely a young girl's spirit there. I haven't been there in years, and the last time Emily went over there was around Halloween one year, and she saw a dude dressed up as a clown holding an axe and walking by himself in the dark. All in all, I think I'm going to stay away in the future. See, that's my problem, because the, the, like pragmatist in me is like when i walk in and i see that only one room is working light wise and the picture has been up i'm thinking okay someone has is living here and they've wired this house up so only this room works and if i go up and see that there's a bed with leather restraints i'm out there's a me-shaped hole on this Uh on the fucking attic wall i don't care if i'm dropping 25 feet i'm out of there like (laughs) i just assume see it's a human, but it's weird yeah. that the things disappeared. That's, yeah, that's my thought. The first day was like, mm, I don't know. I feel like I could probably rationalize a lot of that away by human 
a human living there, so a squatter, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, however, the entity charging up the stairs, creepy. creepy. And everything that happened the second day, creepy. So I, creepy. it may be a blend of both, dude. Yeah. But weird. Holy shit. That's I a see weird bed with story. restraints. I'm out. Yeah. I, I, um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Gone. You're out of there. Fuck that. That's what scares me about abandoned places more than anything is I'm not really worried. I'm a, I'm worried about humans that are still there. Yeah. 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 Uh, to look on the bright side, like the hopeful side of things, maybe that bed well, always was there and your friend's parents were just into some shit, you know, and there's no reason for you to have known about it. I mean, maybe. But I have a feeling it's a, I have a, feeling it's a little darker than that. <laughs> so this was sent by Nancy, the matron. Oh, I remember this one. This one had pictures. So uh, it's titled Tug Hill Camp. Camp. Interesting. Lots of each one of these is connected to the previous one. In 2009, my husband and I purchased an old farmhouse on the Tug Hill Plateau in northern New York. It is a beautiful country area. No electricity, no running water, and no cell service. The Tug Hill region was settled by immigrants in the late 1800s, early 1900s. The settlers didn't last more than a generation in this area because of the immense amount of lake effect snowfall, sometimes more than 300 inches per year. The excessive snow made it hard to live, and all of the families ended up moving to a less harsh location. Anyways, the old farmhouse was originally built by a man named John Church in the late 1800s. He lived in the house with his wife and seven children and later died there from old age in the early 1900s. His children were grown and moved away by this time, and his wife moved to a village home for the elderly. It was then purchased and owned for many years by a hunting club and then later fell into private ownership. My husband and I have always admired the old abandoned farmhouses on the hill and wanted to purchase one for our nostalgia as well as our enjoyment of the outdoors. Following the purchase of John Church's house, we spent a couple number of days and nights there camping and fixing up the house so that it was more livable and enjoyable during our stays. After spending some time at the camp, I finally asked my husband if he had heard the noises I had often heard in the upstairs of the house. I wasn't sure of the response he would offer, as he is a skeptic, and I, on the other hand, am not. I believe in spirits based on other experiences that I've had throughout my life. Without me prompting him, he said, yes, it sounds like somebody taking off their boots upstairs or moving furniture across the floor. On more than one occasion since that time, it didn't matter where we were on the property, we could be outside of the house and would hear the familiar thumping or scraping noise. As my husband and I spent more time there, we had other experiences. The most persistent and ongoing experience is feeling a presence in the room with you, particularly upstairs. I would turn to see who was there only to see nothing, but still feel a presence. One night while sleeping, I awoke to use the bat I awoke to use the bathroom. Our bedroom is on the second floor and the makeshift bathroom is on the first floor. Ooh, a long walk in the middle of the night. Oh do yeah. We always kept a radio playing classical music at night just so we didn't hear the house creaking and stave off the silence. When Good I job. awoke, the radio was playing only static. I assumed it was because it was the middle of the night and the radio station was off air. 
As I walked by the radio, the static electricity from my body must have made the radio start to get signal again, and I could hear a voice. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, my word. Give it to me. Give it to me. As I, oh, as I moved by the radio, I clearly heard a man's voice say, let me out. The radio then went back to static, and no matter where I stood, I could not get it to get reception again. No! (laughs) Oh, my God. I hate that. I think I would have just gone into complete meltdown. I think I just would have gone into a complete meltdown. That is awful. My broken eye is just squirting tears right now. Ah. Needless to say, future ventures to the bathroom in the middle of the night were a team effort. In 2011, when I was pregnant with my son, we spent the night at the camp. And as the sun went down and after starting the fireplace, I had an uncontrollable feeling that my skin was crawling and my body was vibrating. I would jump or startle at any movement or noise like my senses were heightened and I could feel so much that it was uncomfortable. It got to the point that my husband asked if I wanted to go home. Keep in mind, by this time, it was late into the evening, and it would have been well over an hour drives home. I assured him that I was okay and made sure that he stayed close to me all night. By morning, I felt fine and normal again. When my first son was born, we didn't spend much time at the camp. We would make day trips, but nothing more. When my son was about three, we were spending some time at the camp. I took my son with me upstairs to open up some of the windows and air the house out. At the top of the stairs, there was a circular landing with a lounge area and two bedrooms. As we got to the top of the stairs, I turned to go in one of the rooms and my son latched on to my leg. I looked down at him and he was staring at the door opening to the guest room. I said, what's wrong, buddy? He proceeded to point to the doorway to the guest bedroom and said, who is that? I looked up and saw nothing in the doorway. I looked down at him and said, what do you see? Mommy doesn't see anyone. He hid behind my leg and said, nothing, Mommy, and he wouldn't say anything more about it. I could tell he was confused and a little scared. I stayed calm in order to not make him even more upset. I didn't want him to be scared of the presence if it was not threatening. I picked him up and walked into the room, opening the windows and reassuring him that all was well. He snuggled into my neck, peeking out at times until we returned to the first floor, where he got down and played as if nothing happened. Over the next couple of years, the presence in the house was unchanged. We would hear the noises and feel someone standing behind us, but never felt fearful. One summer day, my husband took the kids, we have a son and a daughter now, for a day trip to the camp while I was working. I received a call midway through the day from my husband saying that the camp had been broken into. A couple of the windows were broken and some items were stolen and damaged. We had to file a police report and do a walkthrough with a police officer to determine what had been stolen and damaged. During the walkway, I identified that there was at least two people, and one of them had cut their hand relatively badly on one of the old window panes. The intruder had left bloodstains on every doorway and all of the objects that were touched. Ew, stop touching stuff. Don't, yeah, if you're bleeding, don't touch it. Wrap your hand in a t shirt or something. Like, gross. Loser. We filed the report, and due to the circumstances, didn't feel safe at the camp anymore and contemplated selling it for some time. It was well over a year later that we finally found ourselves back at the camp cleaning and making random repairs. During the time at the camp, it felt different. We didn't hear the thumping in the upstairs, and the persistent presence was no longer there. It felt 
clean is the only way to explain it. I even discussed this with my husband and he also agreed something was different and neither one of us could explain it. It was like the house felt lighter around you, more airy and bright. I have included, oh yeah, they sent us an image uh, of the farmhouse. I sent it to you on uh, Messenger, by the way. Yeah. Uh, although I, um, it's a great, or I think it is a spectacular representation of a late 19th century farmhouse. Although I feel this way, a number of my friends refuse to go there because they say it is just too creepy. We did find out through a friend of a friend that the former owners of the camp also heard and felt things while spending time there, although that was not the reason for them selling it. We even at one point had a local ghost hunting organization come out to the camp with all of their equipment to see if they would be able to communicate with the presence. Unfortunately, the data didn't amount to much and was unclear if any of their readings were real or caused by cell phone interference. I would like to add that during the early years, when my husband and I would spend a lot of time at the camp and spend the night, we had our family pets with us. There were three large dogs, ranging between 80 and 110 pounds. My husband and I spoke of the feelings, spoke about the feelings we felt and the noises we heard, but were always reassured when the dogs had no reaction. They would hear the thump and scraping noise, but would ignore it as if though it were nothing. This made us feel more comfortable with the camp and reassured that whatever it was meant no harm. And in regards to the dogs, there is a ghost dog that both my husband and I have actually seen. It is a yellow lab. And when we would be playing outside with our dogs, we would catch glimpses of it out of the corner of our eyes. We always knew it was not ours because of the color. Our dogs... Uh, our dogs at this time were black. He was friendly, but would startle me on more than one occasion. One time when I was calling for the dogs to get into the car, he came running around the corner of the car unexpectedly. As he ran around the corner of the car, I recall his tongue lolling out, goofy dog smile on his face, ready to go for a ride. It was only a glimpse, but I could tell he was happy and enjoying himself. We still own the camp and visited as much as our busy schedules allow. As the years have passed, the presence came back, but it is more subdued and no longer emits a menacing feeling. We have heard the thumping noise again, but not as much as we once did. My son still doesn't like to be in the camp by himself and refuses to go upstairs by himself, but his sister has had no issues with the house. We still haven't spent a night at the camp with the kids. We are just not ready. I don't blame you. I think let me out was the worst thing I've ever heard. That is just a, that is truly, literally, in every definition textbook way, a nightmare. Mm, mm. It's also what I would say if I was a ghost and I was trying to scare the person. Oh my God. It is like, it's exactly what you would say. That's what's so scary. It's like, it is the thing to say if you want to make somebody's world crumble around them. (laughs) Yucky. Wow. Well, I'm glad about the ghost dogs, though. That's Whoa, though, but that's like a spooky fucking house. Oh, do you see it? Yes. That's yeah. awesome, the, uh, dude. Get me in there. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. I, you can tell the uh, the age of it because the foundation, look at the foundation. It's like that super... Yeah, it's like cobblestone. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. What year did they say it was? Uh, pre 1900s, I believe, or is even 1900 old as hell. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to go stay the night? Oh my god, I would love to stay the night. Uh, okay. Alrighty, I have one for you right now from Sweet Melissa. Sweet Melissa. Did I ever tell you that Sweet Melissa to me, um? in my brain immediately goes to the crossfire commercial. Do you remember the crossfire commercial? 
What crossfire is that? Like a like the car? From like when we were a kid, it was that game you'd like shoot oh. things at each other's crossfire. You get caught up in the crossfire. Oh my you god! Know? Yeah. Did I unlock unlock a memory? I there? remember that. I remember that jingle. Yeah. It always goes, sweet Melissa, you'll get caught up in the sweet Melissa. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So this one's from Melissa. So the apartment I used to live in was 1000% haunted. First of all, it was built in the 70s. And of course, many, many people have lived there before me. But my current apartment was probably built around me. uh, I'm sorry. Built around me. (laughs) It was probably built... (laughs) Around the same time, and I haven't had any of the same experiences that I had uh, my first year of living at my old apartment. Mm. When I first moved, I was by myself with no roommates. Uh, There was an older gentleman who lived in the apartment below me. He had a cane and struggled to get up the steps. He was very friendly, but there were times I would walk up the stairs behind him and be prepared to catch him should he fall. Mm. After a while, I realized a lot of time had passed since I'd seen him. That bar that locks at the sliding glass door to, uh, the bar that locks the sliding glass door to his apartment was left unlocked for weeks, and I could see that there was still furniture inside, mm. but I hadn't seen the man. Now it's possible that his family had moved him to a nursing home, but I immediately suspected that he may have died. Yeah, there were times that I even considered calling my leasing office to ask to check on him, but I never saw him again. And one day his stuff was gone, and a new tenant moved in. Oh. But since then, there were some extremely spooky and terrifying events that occurred. The first thing I still cannot explain and gives me goosebumps to recall. It was the middle of the night, probably around 3 a.m. It's 3 a.m. I must be alone. Must be alone. When I heard when I heard a crash like the sound, that's what (laughs) that's what Melissa wakes up to is that at 3 (laughs) a.m. When uh, I heard a crash-like sound of glass breaking, mm, frantic, I shot up in sound. bed. I hate it. I shot up in bed and reached to turn on my lamp, only to find that the light bulb had broken clean off my lamp. Jesus, how? Like, if it was on, I'd be like, oh, something happened. But just off, no thanks. Oh, my God. Let me pause here and say I love Goodwill. <laughs> there is nothing more... I love more than finding vintage things for a hella good price. This lamp was one of those finds. I do have some rules, of course. Uh, I don't purchase things that uh, can close. Oh, okay. I don't purchase things that can close, like boxes, because I don't want spooky shit that's trapped inside. Okay. Anyway, once I got my other lamp turned on, I saw that the lampshade on the broken lamp was still in place and hadn't moved an inch. I know this because the night before, I noticed that the crease where the lampshade was glued together was facing outward. I had thought about turning it around, but I was too lazy. So when inspecting the lamp, I noticed it wasn't like that something had hit the lampshade. Otherwise, it would have spun or moved the lampshade. Also, the lampshade is the kind of a metal, has the kind of metal ring at the bottom that you first place on top of the lamp. Oh, yeah. Like the little coat hanger or whatever inside. Yeah. And then you screw the screw the light bulb on top. So the light bulb somehow cracked off without the base of the lamp or the lampshade moving. Mm. Flying shards of glass breaking off of a lamp mere inch, inches from your sleeping face is horrifying. At the time, I had no pets. This was the first night of terror. 
The second thing to happen. Oh my God. The thought of going through that without a dog to hug is just the scariest thing I could even ever think of. Or just, or just, or just, yeah. Or just like a a roommate to go immediately. Anything, any living thing. Like, yeah, I don't know what I would, I would go sleep in my car. I would, yeah, I'd, yeah, 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 yeah. Who I'm has not staying there. The yeah. cheapest hotel room, dude. I, yeah. I'm not going to raw dog this night. This is awful. No, fuck no. The second thing to happen occurred <laughs> after I had gone on a horse tour with a Maybe. co-worker. Okay. We had been riding in the hot July sun for several hours and I was feeling faint. Uh, it's hot. Probably dehydrated. I ended up fainting, falling off the horse, getting oh. a concussion. Dude, hey, saying, bro. Huge, yeah, hey concussion twins (laughs) and a huge gash on the back of my head wear helmet that sucks yeah uh i ended up that's what they say i wasn't i wasn't being snide yeah yeah no (laughs) wear helmets i ended up in the hospital and out of work for two weeks did i mention that this was in the woods that surrounded the battlefields of gettysburg oh Make suddenly it all makes sense. I sometimes wonder if I brought something home with me or was just extra sensitive after a near death experience. But another evening, I woke up in the middle of the night feeling like something. Oh God damn it! Something was standing over me. I opened my eyes. God damn it, dude! I opened my eyes and a man was leaning over me. He was wearing white and had either a white bandana or a white bandage on his head. I couldn't see his face. I blinked, expecting my eyes to adjust, uh, and as they do, he, oh God, as they adjusted, he was still there. That I screamed sucks. bloody murder. I hate that. I screamed bloody murder, not once, but twice. No, not once, not twice, but three times before <laughs> he disappeared. <laughs> I'm like, that's your only, like, that's the only thing you can do, dude. And just, just do a Skyrim shout until they blast yeah. away. <laughs> Fucking sound cleanse at them until they <laughs> deteriorate. I was out of breath. My throat was raw from shrieking. I'm and sure. I was shaking. God damn. I'm also a little offended that my neighbors didn't call the cops. Honestly. After hearing me screaming. I know the walls are paper thin. I guess it's every witch for herself. <laughs> the last thing that occurred happened months later. I thought I was in the clear because I had gotten used to things. For example, the door to the utility closet in my bedroom would just would open just barely on its own, presumably mm-hmm. because the closet had a vent to the outside, sure. and when the wind blew, it would you know push the door, uh, made a vacuum to push it shut. There was no latch on the door. I ended up piling boxes in front of it. I feel pretty confident that occurrences that that occurrence was natural, not supernatural, yeah. but I felt you know better safe than sorry. But one morning, while I was getting ready for work, I was putting on my makeup when I thought I heard voices coming from my bedroom. I thought it would be people walking below my apartment. But when I got to the bedroom, which was just around the corner, I realized the voices were coming from my clock radio. Jeez. coming from radio. Come on. I hadn't used the radio in over a year. I only used the clock for the time because usually reception was horrible in my room. But somehow reception was perfect and a talk show was going on. I immediately tried to turn it off, but the radio is very finicky, which is another reason I don't use it. That's all fine and dandy, except I I unplugged the motherfucker and it kept playing. No. I had to go to work. It's some ghost that's like, you're going to listen to my fucking podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's us. It was us when we died. (laughs) 
<laughs> I had to go to work, so I ended up just leaving. And when I got home, I guess I ran out of juice. I guess it ran out of juice because it was quiet. My coworkers uh, knew of the saga, and one of them suggested a cross. This was before my witchy awakening. Otherwise, I could have uh, could have put to use some sound clearing incense or just telling the ghost mm. to fuck off much earlier. But I ended up putting a cross in my apartment and telling the ghost it had to leave because I lived there now. I never had another happening. Tell me that apartment wasn't haunted AF. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I think I could tell you that the little cubby door opening, that was probably that, yeah, I think you're right. I think else. you nailed that on it being a little bit of a vacuum yep. scenario. I think you're right. Um, but homie, but uh, uh, homeboy leaning over you at Yeah, night? and, and yeah. also just like slippy sliced a light bulb off your lamp just so they can lean yeah. over you to see you better in the dark. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> Creepy. Gross. This next story was sent in by Kayla. I was raised in a Wiccan household and always had an interest in a magical life. After the age of eight, I drifted away from the Wiccan path, not knowing if it was for me, only to come back in my adult years and wished I had never strayed away. Figuring y'all might enjoy or cringe at my creepy story. Ugh. God, I, either, either, either. Either please. sounds yes. good to me. Yeah. Yes. First, basic floor plan of the house. As soon as you open the front door, it's a pretty open area. There was a staircase on the left against the wall immediately to the right. was the li- uh, There was a staircase on the left against the wall. Immediately to the right was the living room, which led to an open dining room kitchen area. From the front door, you could see the upstairs walkway. And the doors to every room. Okay, I feel how this sounds. Mm -hmm. As well as an attic door in the ceiling that was painted shut so you could not get in. Love that. Also, the houses were kind of like duplexes. On each side of my husband's house was a neighbor with an adjoining wall and the attics were connected, but you couldn't get into them. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, okay. About seven years ago, I met my now husband in my hometown of Havelock, North Carolina. My husband was living in an off-base housing neighborhood and told me a few stories about his home before I ever went inside. After his son left the house, strange things started happening. Around dinner time, the chair his son used to sit in for dinner would pull itself out and one time threw itself across the room. Rude. Stop. Rude. Can that you imagine? so rude <laughs> you're just there having a solitary dinner mm-hmm. and you know you're like man you know what i'm just gonna sit here and have this quiet dinner and a chair just yanks itself out and yeets itself across the room i i don't know what i would do i i, I like the natural thing i want to say like i'd be terrified and would run away but i think part of me would just be a little bit kerfuffled by it and a bit upset a little mad <laughs> yeah 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 a part of me would be like Okay. Yeah. Can you? But on the other, excuse you. Can, you pl- can we be an adult, please? Don't do yeah, that. Come on. Us. I do also feel like the other side of that might look hilarious because it's like, what if that person doesn't quite know what's up and they're just sitting at the table with you having a conversation, trying to talk over dinner, and you're just ignoring them? It's like the sixth sense. Like, God damn it, Linda! Listen to me. Yeah, exactly. And then they finally just have enough and they throw the fucking chair. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Keep walking, cheese, we. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. 
Around bath time, the tub faucet in the upstairs bathroom would turn on when no one was even upstairs. Gross. I don't like running water. Something about, because that could cause so much damage. Like, ghost, listen to me right now. That's not what you need to do. Like, that's a one-way ticket to (laughs) to really get exiled out of this house. Um, Like, if you're going to start causing property damage, listen, you're not making me any money. Okay? Like, you're if you cost me money as a ghost, you're out of here, bud. (laughs) Ever practical. You gotta have a good ROI if you're gonna live in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, 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 makes sense. (laughs) Around bedtime, his son's bedroom door would open by itself and always had this odd smell in the room. There was also a video of a pair of his son's shoes, just shoes, running past a doorway. (laughs) I hate it, but I love it. Exactly. I think I would be able to do I'd just be able to blink at it. I I would have a hearty chuckle. I'd be moving my shit out, but I'd be laughing. Oh, my God. Wow, it's really seemingly <laughs> fixated on the sun, man. That's so silly. Oh, oh my gosh. Wolf. Okay. Um, oh. After Ooh. a few months, I'm <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, me neither. Oh, uh, okay. Woof. In my head, in my head, it's really cute. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I've made it really me. cute. They're real slappy footsteps. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Big, big, too big. Also, the shoes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, After a few months, I moved in with him, and so did a former roommate of mine. First impression walking in was something wasn't right here. The energy in the house felt heavy, and at certain parts, it felt very dark. Almost immediately after moving in, things started to happen. With a little, with a little, like, like, uh, uh oh, emoji. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Oh. While myself, my husband, and roommate were watching TV, my husband decided to go grab something to drink from the kitchen. And as soon as he returned, we all started hearing noises in the kitchen that he just walked out of. We got up to check it out only to find that every cup and shot glass that was displayed in the kitchen had been turned upside down. My husband has an OCD issue where everything must be perfectly placed right side up. Also, all of the doors in the house, whether it be bedroom, bathroom, or closet, must be shut when not in use. So, yeah, that's intense. Like, you know that those glasses were where they were supposed to be, you know. Don't like it. And I don't like the idea that you were hearing it happen, like, one by one. You, like, you were hearing them all flip. Again, this happened in a matter of seconds. However, we brushed it off. Ugh. A few That bothers me, too, that it did that, because I like to think that the entity is aware of his specific, um, would the proper term be, is it ticks for that? Is that considered a tick if you've got to, if it, it manifests probably... like that? It might be uh, an obsession, you know, or it could be if if the if the issue is like you being the one to like turn them, then that would be compulsion. I just, it's, but it's, I would say that's probably the obsession. It's spooky to me that this is clearly like a soft point, and that's what it flipped. It, it's like preying on the thing that yeah, on the anxiety that that's going to, to create. Them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gross. Um, the thing that will put them down for days yeah yeah and it's gonna feed them feed them energy yeah um fuck you 
A few days later, we were all out running errands. When my husband and I returned back home, we noticed that, oh, God, yeah, every door upstairs was open. All the lights were turned mm. on and all of my husband's mm. clothes were thrown out of his dresser. Just like the, so it was door, it was doors and glasses. And now you've got them both. Thinking someone might have just broken in, we revamped all of the locks and double checked that they were locked whenever we left. From then, Almost any time we left the house, whenever we would return, all of the upstairs doors would be open and the lights would be on. Every other weekend, my husband's son would stay with us and everything would be fine until nightfall. His son's room didn't have a lot in it. All of his toys were downstairs. Only a bed, dresser, an old rocking chair with a three-foot-tall teddy bear that would sit in the rocking chair. Um. Separate Okay. Them. Separate them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> Every night when his son got tucked into bed, his room would smell like sulfur. About an hour or two after tucking him in, he would almost always wake up screaming, thinking it was just night terrors. He would get calmed down and tucked back in. After about two months of this, we finally decided to have a friend who was a pagan come in and clean and cleans, cleans. God damn it. How do you say this word? Cleanse. Come in. And cleanse and bless the house. He carved protective runes and sigils into the stairs and walls to try to help. Unfortunately, this only made it worse. After that day, it didn't matter whether we were home or not. Doors would fly open and lights would turn on. We had one night. It sounds poltergeisty. And if it is, a you know, because like they just they feed on energy. It sounds like a poltergeist that has found a perfect source in which of of like how to feed, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's not leaving easily. He's found he's found a good. Uh, yeah, and it keeps doing a, these things. Yeah, uh, we had one night, or yeah, we had one night that my roommate was in his room with headphones on. My husband was downstairs working on homework, and I was taking a shower. When I got out, I found that the bathroom door and master bedroom door had been opened. After getting dressed, I left the room, and all of the other doors were shut. Once I got about three stairs down, I heard a noise behind me, only to find out that my husband's son's bedroom door had just opened. I then ran down the stairs. We had one morning that my husband poured two glasses of milk, put the carton back, took a a sip of his cup, and his cup of milk had curdled. However, the other cup of milk was fine. This is poltergeist. What in the hell? This sounds like fucking poltergeist shit. Obsession with that. What? Why? And picking on the husband. Yeah, him. Not knowing what Mm. to do next, my roommate decided to get an EMF detector. We went through the house asking questions and didn't really get any big spikes. We went downstairs, turned off the EMF, and started chit chatting. My husband then started to antagonize whatever was there. Specifically, (laughs) said, "It's whatever. Whatever is here is just a little bitch." Immediately after saying that, the EMF turned itself on and spiked so high it stopped reading numbers and began blaring a high-pitched noise. You want to fucking go, bro? You call me a bitch, bro? You think I'm a fucking bitch? You're a fucking bitch. Call me a bitch. Kick your ass. That is such like when you hear someone mutter something under their breath. Oh, my God. Like, Wow. He's waiting for you to speak up. Been waiting uh, for you to speak up the whole time. <laughs> oh, I got your ear now, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's horrifying, but it's also very funny. 
We all jumped, and my husband looked up to the ceiling and said, damn, okay, I'm sorry. Look, I'm sorry. At that point, the EMF detector <laughs> shut itself back off. He, he, he said, yeah, that's what You're fucking right. You're sorry, you piece of shit. We left things alone for a few days and just dealt with the opening doors and lights turning on. <sighs> Not long after, though, I had what I feel was the most terrifying night of my life. Everyone went to bed, and the house was quiet. A few hours later, I woke up to my husband screaming. By the way, mm. my husband is a crazy-ass Marine that has been to war a few times, and I've literally never heard, or I've never seen anything scare him. He was shouting for me to wake up and turn on the light. As I tried to reach the light, I felt a very dark and heavy presence in the corner of our room. It felt like I was being watched and warned not to move though I could not see anything. Once I turned the light on, the presence was gone, and the terror in my husband's face was so strong, I seriously thought he was going to have a heart attack. When he told me he had a terrible nightmare of something malevolent being in our room and woke up feeling like something was sitting on his chest holding him down, not being able to move or make a noise. He said it felt like it took hours for him to finally be able to, la to yell loud enough to wake me. After that night, we knew something had to be done. We cleansed the entire house and put salt at every threshold. We also circled his son's bed in salt because he still woke up every night he was there screaming. Everything then got quiet for almost two weeks until his son came over again. The first night his son came back over, everything was going fine. We tucked him into bed and went about our night. A little while after everyone went to bed, my husband's son woke up screaming so loud we thought he was right next to us. We ran into his room, flipped the light on to find the old rocking chair that was on the other side of the room was moved all the way up to the Shut salt up. ring, all the way up to the salt ring around his bed, and the teddy bear was nope. shifted looking down at the boy in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I need a minute. God. I need a fucking minute. Oh my god. The pushing up to the edge of the salt ring is not okay. That That's not okay. Dude, I am I am not handling that. That is so That's frightening. Cool. Oh my and I hate the the bear being used as like a visual like the bear? Oh my god, dude. Fuck that. Mm -mm. Oh shit. Right up to the line. Oh my god. Good. And you know he was just watching it scoot closer to him, probably. Ah! Oh! That poor little oh. that poor little boy. Uh, oh god. Woof. All right. Cool. Cool. We oh god, I just know this is gonna get rough. I saw the next few sentences. We took it out of the room, calmed him down, and tucked him back into bed. The next morning, one of our neighbors asked if we had found a way to get into the attic and what we were doing up there at two thirty AM. Shut up. He then explained he had been woken up around that time only to find that his front door was open. The painted shut attic door was ripped open and said it sounded like stuff was being thrown around for a good 20 to 30 minutes. We had then looked in our house to find that our painted shut attic door was ripped open as well. I then had a moment of anger and terror to which I yelled at the house, I'm done with this shit. Get out of my house. <laughs> the day after this, everyone was at work. 
When my husband got off work, he went home and changed clothes and then left to go start a shift at job number two, and everything at the house was fine. About 10 minutes after he left, my roommate showed up and showed up at the house and walked in and called me saying, I need to get home right away. I left work and drove home, which was only a two-minute drive, pulled into the driveway, and as I did, my best friend pulled up as well to see my roommate standing outside saying, something is really wrong in this house. We all walked in to find every light in the entire house was on, every door was open, and the rocking chair, which had gotten put back in the bedroom after my husband's son had left, was rocking back and forth at the very top of the stairs with the teddy bear yeah, looking you. down nope. at us all. No, fuck you. No, 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 no. See, now I'm not fucking scared anymore. I'm fucking pissed off. I'm burning you is what's happening. Um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm going to put you in a no. box full of salt and full of everything, and then I'm going to light yeah. it on fire. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm gonna fucking dissipate you, dude. Yeah, I'm you're gonna done. molecularly blast you. Yeah, out of existence. Yeah, you could have you could have kept existing, but you did too much. Yeah, yeah. Nope, nope. <laughs> uh, okay. At this point, I grabbed my phone to take a picture. I sent the picture to my husband to show him what was going on, and when he received the photo, you could only see half of the picture. You could see the entire bottom floor of the house, but halfway up the stairs, all the way to the ceiling in the picture, it was completely whited out. It wasn't until he stopped back by the house that he saw what was going on. Later that day, we started asking around the neighborhood and doing some online research on the neighborhood we lived in. We then found out that our house was not the only one that was getting messed with. Every house on our street that had boys under the age of three had had strange things happening. We then found out that four boys had died on this same street, all under the age of three from SIDS or mysterious circumstances. One boy had died while we were living at this house. Shortly after this day, my husband retired from the Marine Corps and we left the state and have not gone back since. To this day, we have no idea what was in that house or on the street. All we do know is that it loves to mess with people, with boys under the age of three, and it's powerful enough to hurt people. We tried to warn the people around and even went to the base housing to warn them and everyone thought we were crazy. We have multiple people, civilians and Marines, who have seen and heard the stuff going on in this area. I understand skeptics not believing what I say happened, but trust me when I say this was very real and very terrifying to experience. I only hope someone is smart, brave, and strong and powerful enough to rid this area of the terrible entity that inhabits that street. That might be one of the more fucked up ones I think we have ever gotten. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, don't. I'm not me, right. I, I don't have. No, oh. no, I'm not. I'm. I'm actually walking away from that one. Kind of fucking angry. Yeah, because <laughs> that like, I don't like I'm, that it's it's doing that, and especially it's preying on kids. You know, kids. No, dude, 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 dude. You don't. No, I'm not a mom. But like me as a mother, the second you look sideways at my kid, you're out. Well, it's just you know what I mean. It's just it's and, and I say that. I, yeah yeah what a piece of shit yeah i say on, that you know, knowing what to do now you know but yeah oh my god yeah yikes wow fuck shit i wish we had something funny and quippy 
<laughs> no, to, I, I'm, let's go back to the. I'm a bit. Let's go back to the funny running shoes. <laughs> oh, I remember the cute slappy shoes. Yeah, remember that? That was fun. Remember the cats? Remember sneaker and fucking sword? Yes, that was that was a good time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, I've calibrated. Let's move on to our last listener story. This one says, uh, or this one is from Cadence from Australia. Cool. The house I grew up in was a large 70s. That's another one. 70s houses, bro. 70s house with an internal courtyard. Dude, I love. I'm so jelly. Internal courtyard. Me too. Those are badass. On one side of the courtyard is the kitchen, living room, and dining room. And on the other side is the bedrooms and bathrooms, with a hallway connecting the two wings of the house. The walls surrounding the courtyard are solid glass, so you can see right through them from the dining room to the hallway to the courtyard. One time, when I was about 11 years old, I was sitting in the dining room after dinner, looking out at the courtyard. Through the glass, I saw my mum walking through the hallway to go to the other wing of the house. I love it when I we wanted get a to mum. speak a mum. I wanted to speak to her, so I got up to follow her, but after extensively searching all of the rooms on the other side of the house, I couldn't find her. I returned to the dining room to discover that she had been on that side of the house all along. She would have had to pass me to get back there if she had, in fact, gone to the other wing. I assumed the figure I saw moving up the hallway... Wait, I, I assumed the figure that I saw moving up the hallway was my mom, because who else would it be? But honestly, all I saw was a shadowy form about the same height as my mom. Was it a shadow person? Or maybe a, or maybe a doppelganger from another timeline? I hate Possible. that. I've had one other spooky experience in that house. A few months before I moved out of home, I was in the bathroom and noticed a pair of handprints high up on the bathroom mirror. It was one of those big mirrors that covers the entire wall above the basin, and the top edge of the mirror was probably about seven feet from the floor at least. Nobody living in the house at that time would have been tall enough to place their hands there, nor would they have been nor would they have had any reason to do so. The handprints were spread far apart on either side of the mirror as though someone had leaned against it to brace themselves while staring at their own reflection. Okay. I hate that. That's intense. I don't like that. I showed the prints to my partner and he couldn't explain it either. I think I took a photo because it was so weird, but I have no idea where this photo is now. Otherwise, I would have attached it. It's okay. It's probably cursed. That's that's fine. Listen, I'm fine. (laughs) Last but not least, I often see shadow cats. My own cat has a way of materializing in unexpected places, like disappearing and appearing. So I like to imagine that the shadow cats are versions of her from another timeline, and she's able to control which version of herself is fully visible at any given time. I've been a cat person my whole life, so maybe I'm just super turned into feline energy. Um, I'd love to know if any of the other listeners have shadow pets. I had, I have watched, I watched your fucking parents' cat teleport. Yes. I watched it. Oh, tell me this again. This is vaguely familiar, and I don't remember the, the situation. Ah, dude, it was the black one. Misty? Yeah. Misty, yeah. Um, I, the one I loved. Yeah. Both of those cats creeped me out, though, dude. I don't know why, but so they were just, they were real, I don't know, but they were not mean. Uh, 
but they were. No, I get it. I get it. I get it with they Bailey. Were Misty, I loved. I loved so much. Uh, taken, R.I.P., taken way too young, Misty. But yeah, I definitely get it with the other one because the other one would walk around and speak human words. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, Hello. Um, yeah. And so this was the. Uh, that one, the Bailey fucking Misty. Anyway, and so we were sleeping in the living room. And I don't know why I love, okay, first of all, we've talked about this a lot. I loved that house, but it was also super creepy for some reason. And, you know, I loved the the Forney house so much. I, I loved everything about that house. I think about that house a lot. I just yeah, loved it. There so was much. stuff there though. There was, but there, there was, was some weirdness on. there and man, it would chill me to my fucking bones sometimes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah, dude. Dude, I remember the time that like we would play uh, lights on, lights off or whatever that fucking oh, game was God, and you got to stand yes. on the, and it would be like, I'd be standing in the empty living room and all the adults would be outside, like on the back porch. And it was just me and the alone in the house standing at on the other side yeah. of the door in the living room. And it yep. was a terror that I could not explain. But it was it would get me, man. Every, oh. Anyway, but I it love felt that house. Like the it felt like the get off the road scene in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you like just wanted you God. You just wanted yeah. the time to end to get back in the room with everybody else, even though it was dark in there. You didn't give a shit. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we were in the living room, and it was like one of those middle of the night things. And I woke up probably to fucking pee, and I remember I woke up and I watched that cat. It was in the hallway, like to where your room was. In, like, the bathroom, and it walked out of that hallway, crossed through the living room, and, like, went to, like, sit at your parents' door. And, like, it, like, kind of fucked off after that. Like, I don't think it got let in because, it, again, it was it was late, you know? But I, like, watched it, I think, like, walk off into the dining room. And I didn't doze off and it didn't like walk around again. And I just remember just kind of laying there and, like, the next time I looked in the hallway that, like, it happened again. Like it, it, it all happened again, and the time and, slip. Yeah, it was so weird, and I just remember in that moment being like, "This isn't right. This isn't normal. Something's, Something's wrong. Not right here." Yeah, it was super weird. I don't know. I think cats are. I I think cats are just kind of inherently tied to weird shit like that. I, I feel like cats are. Like, you know how like cats just kind of get into tight places and shit. I feel like they kind of just slurp around through timelines. Well, yeah, they're aloof by nature, so I feel like it makes sense that they're aloof in our own reality. Yeah, yeah, they don't really give a shit about our time yeah. and space. You yeah, know? you're not pinning okay. them yeah, that down. Makes sense. <laughs> wow. And also, it was like um, those cats were. I, I don't know. I don't know if if they were just like the the feline version of like a highly sensitive person or what. But I feel like they would weirdly communicate. Like my mom knew when the the other one was going to go. It's like she told her that it was going to be like she yeah. going to pass away like yeah. the next day, and she had this whole moment with her, and she was just going to like, okay, yeah, it's know, time. All right, yeah, it's time. It's going to happen. Um, I'm still fucking mad about that one story though, bro. <laughs> Wow. Maybe we can maybe we can get a coalition of witches together, just storm the place and blast the bitch out. Dude, yeah, that was wild. So much um These were this was a round of really freaky listener stories. There was a lot of creep, high creep, yeah. high creep vibes. We started out light, light oh and god, I'm so glad. Light I'm and brilliant. So glad. <laughs> <laughs> Homie, if listen, if you make a shirt 
with Soren and sneaker on it, I will wear it, please. Dude, that would be, yeah, we should do like a crossover, like, com- like yeah, yeah. do like a design that's got Soren yeah. and sneaker and their, and oh my their God. little, they're, they've become little characters. <gasps> oh my God. Okay. Yeah, dude. Hey, That'd listen, have your people call our people, okay? <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for this spooky sode. I I love ending on a good spine chilling uh, couple of stories. Wow, yeah. And I think we have some moments from this one that will live on forever. And of course, as always, we've got dudes leaning over you in your sleep. That's never going anywhere. But I'm surprised we only had one. Only one this time. Not that bad, man. Yeah, it was mostly sounds and like a less less physical being. Like more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And lots of cats. Lots of cats. Um, radios. I'm on the radio. Oh, yeah. There you go. You're welcome. Wow. Well, I guess we'll catch you next time. Join us for a non-spooky episode next week. Yeah, a regular um, ass episode. Until then, this uh, is probably the your... last spooky sode until the big boy. You know what? That actually, yeah. Yeah, I guess the next spooky sode we have will be the Halloween sode. Tell us what you guys would like to see in the Halloween sode. Pop over on our Facebook. Um, yeah, that would be great. And Drop a comment. Maybe we'll start a thread when this comes out or something that we can talk about what you guys would like to see. Do we want more listener stories? Do we want, uh, I don't know, do we want to uh, tell us? You tell us. If you have a story to send us, send it to WBAH podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the word spooky somewhere in the subject line so we can find it. Perf. All right, then. I think, I think we can rest now i think i yes it's time to climb back in the car i need to process what i just heard yeah i know i know i know I, there's there's two things floating around in my head right now and they're fighting with each other on one hand we have the uh the creeper ghost who wants to freak out little kids and is an asshole and it's making me mad and on the other hand i have little sneaker and Sauron and and the and the and the skeletons. Sneaker and Soren are what's keeping me Sorin. sane right now. They're they're holding yeah. me to get. Did you say Sauron? I did. I said Sauron. <laughs> My bad, dude. I love that sneaker and Sauron. It's like Sauron's like black sheep brother that just like yeah. never quite you know he's just struck out on his own at fifteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. His family, like, wanted him to be as evil as Sauron, but, like, all he really did was, like, rob, like, a gas station once. Yeah, Yeah. he just wants to work on hot rod cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God, he's Rocco. (laughs) Rocco's origin story. (laughs) That's that's why Rocco doesn't know where he came from. That's right. He just found a, he found an empty house and squatted, and he said his mother left Mm. him there so he couldn't be arrested. Yeah, maybe he came from, yeah, oh God, okay, listen, we got to stop because we'll make a whole story. Um, next time, join us for Spooky Sode Halloween Time 2022. I'm going to go cleanse. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go put my feet in the dirt. I'm tired. <laughs> wow. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>